0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 76 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show-by-show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. I'm the voice you'll be hearing that didn't get to go to one of the biggest wrestling events of the year. The other voice you'll be hearing is the person that did, Matt Feuerstein. Matt, you goddamn it! You keep going to cool shows. It's bad enough that I listen to the. I have to do this podcast with you, and now we've gotten to the era of Ring of Honor, where you're like you go, oh, I was at that show. I was at this show too. This cool show, and now you're still doing that even all these years later. You are still going to cool wrestling shows.
1: Hey, I'm still trying to get you to fly out here. We'll we'll set you up. With, uh, we'll we'll set you up. We'll, we'll we'll hook you up with the with the with the plane <laughs> ticket and everything. You could stay with me. Oh, uh, and. You just got to do it, man. You just got to do it. I mean, I guess granted during a pandemic, it's probably hard. <laughs> yeah, that's a little tough. But uh, before that, it was fine and you still didn't do it.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm just 2035. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. 2035? Uh, anyway, All right, I'm, I'm holding you to that. <laughs> Matt, dude, I'll probably be dead by then. So uh, You and me both, no, sister. So yeah, Matt, you were at um, – Grand Slam, AEW show. I mean, it's crazy that like I was talking about this to you uh, the other day online but it's crazy this week for those who are listening way off in the future this is all the this has basically been ring of honor nostalgia week in a way I've never seen before so these are all the things that happened this week related to that you have Brian Danielson wrestling his first non WWE match in forever and he does a match with Kenny Omega where he breaks out like you know a whole bunch of the old Brian Danielson spots like the calamityellation that the crowd goes nuts for so refereed by Paul Turner <laughs> Yeah that, that that's a point I missed but then You've got um Homicide, you know, comes up the Grand Slam Rampage. He makes a big appearance. Fans go nuts. And on that same night that that show aired... He's in Game Changer Wrestling, wrestling Minoru Minoru Suzuki in the main event of a show. Then on top of that, on that same Game Changer show, it's being um, announced by Lenny Leonard and Dave Prasak back together. And then on top of that, the night before at Game Changer Wrestling, you had Lacey come out and do uh, a Lacey Loves Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Jacobs Lacey reunion. So... This yeah. has been just basically an entire week of nostalgia for the area for the era we cover.
1: You know who else I hear was in uh, Ring of Honor back then was um is what's his uh the CM Punk.
0: Oh yeah, that guy completely forgot. He's old news now. The luster's worn off him. He's wrestled a couple <laughs> matches now. That's I've seen That's enough. Right. That's right. But you know, it's it's funny because. In a way, Matt, when you like, I was just thinking, when you uh, asked me to do this show, you said, like, hey, there's like something I think people would like this, and you know, it's kind of a void at that time. Uh, Like, it feels like you were kind of two or three years ahead of the curve, because I feel like it's just now that we're starting to get that first wave of nostalgia for what we're covering right now. Like, I guess it's just been just long enough. Which is, it's good that we have a whole, like, catalog of podcasts now. We're not just starting out at this point, but it, it is kind of weird to see, like, like you know, like, also Game Changer Wrestling, like, I think they had done this before, but, like, they booked a range this weekend, like... Our it, favorite.
1: It, our favorite Special yeah, K guy. Like,
0: yeah, this is really just... It, it, it's a weird... It's a weird time to be doing a retro Ring of Honor podcast.
1: Are we... Be, are we... Were we ahead of the curve, Trevor? Or are we... Maybe we are the curve, and we, uh, along with an honorable mention, Shane Haggadorn and Jeff Schwartz, we precipitated all this. That's that's what I think. I mean, I don't actually we were ta- think that, but let's just pretend <laughs> that's what I think.
0: We were talking about this the other day too, but I, I, we should still tweet this out one day. But I'm sure, like, we don't have no connection with this man. He doesn't know us. But if we want to test our power, I know we both talked about. We want to make this happen. Next year will be the 20th anniversary of Ring of Honor. It'll be Brian Danielson. I mean, there's a chance now. There's a chance in, in the world. It is now possible for someone to book, probably only AEW or maybe an indie if they get permission, to book Brian Danielson versus Low Key versus Christopher Daniel again. The, you know, the first main event in Ring of Honor history.
1: I was going to tweet that. I was going to tweet that myself a few weeks ago, but I was afraid that like that someone would book that match and someone would get hurt, and I would blame myself
0: forever. <laughs> it'd be ironic if it was low-key that was the one that got hurt hey I don't want like Christopher Gaines the unsafe worker drops low-key right on his head I don't want anyone to
1: get hurt but could could, never mind I was going to say something um, um, very vaguely political and I'm like let's not even go there with these guys but um, yeah I mean hey just FYI February 23rd 2022 is the 20th anniversary of an era of honor begins February 23rd, 2022 happens to be a Wednesday, which is the night that AEW airs their premier weekly television program Dynamite on TBS at that point. Just saying. Just I,
0: I'll, I'll saying. say I'll say this as a few weeks ago I would have been like there's no chance it happens. Now that I see they brought homicide in yeah. like a, like there's like at least a 1% chance it happens. We know that Tony
1: Khan was a fan of this era of ROH. He said so. Um, So, yeah, I'm just I I I don't think that um, Danielson would have a problem with it. Doesn't seem like something Daniels would say no to.
0: Um, I mean, Christopher Daniels just came back to um, Impact on loan for AEW, so it seems like he's getting his feet wet with wrestling after taking some months off, so... Yeah, it, it, you know, I I would think low would be up for that. Maybe he'd
1: come um, in and do so amazingly that that starts his comeback story.
0: And then he would probably do something to get himself fired within months. No, but, uh,
1: no, he's a good guy.
0: Uh, I'm not going under for oh, Kenny Omega, bro, bro. What's he ever done? He's a good uh,
1: guy. He's going to do great. <laughs> I live in the same borough as him. Don't start.
0: <laughs> Scared. Um... But so, Actually, actually lo- I don't
1: know if he actually lives here anymore, but I'm going to assume that he does. So,
0: so as always on the show, we, uh, we have a lot to talk about. But first, we always like to plug the feeds. To, as a reminder, clearly if you're listening to the show, you have found one way to listen to us. But do you know there are multiple ways? Because we have a feed that is on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. So if you just search for Pro Wrestling Only in your podcast app of choice, there's us. But there's a whole sor- all sorts of other great podcasts. So it's not just – a one a feed where you get us and then nothing else that gets updated in that feed for 2 to 3 weeks at a time but if you do like a more individual style feed just look for us on through the years t-h-r-o-h and we have a feed that is nothing but us and generally those shows go up the night we record them so it's the first place that generally gets the show and we are also on youtube and uh matt we got our first youtube comment this uh week i don't know if you saw it and it was a negative comment about uh how we talked too much about undercard matches but was someone listening to the very first show where yeah. i was still finding my feet
1: yeah so actually that guy left us a few messages one of them was like um he was like, Your shows are so long, but you have so few listeners. Because I think he thinks that, like, all the only, our only listeners are the people who listened on YouTube, which is, like, you know, like four. So he's like, he was, <laughs> and, and then he responded, then he listened and he was like, You guys talk way too much about these nobodies. Like, and, and I, <laughs> I, I, I,
0: um, I appreciate the feedback, man. Thanks. Yeah. Every, I mean, everyone's allowed to have their opinion. I'm, per- uh, like, honestly. In the history we've done this show, which has been a few years now, I think we've gotten two, maybe three, negative comments ever, and a lot of positive comments. And quite frankly, everyone's comments is valid to you know their own tastes.
1: And I'm and sure most of the people say- with negative thoughts are just
0: being polite. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? I mean, if you get like less than one negative comment a year, you're probably doing pretty well or people, like you just said, don't care enough to complain.
1: I mean, <laughs> I that, that's know. the main thing. But, here, but you're right, though. We do have many different feeds that you can find us on. And I think the number one challenge for the deep vein Thrombozos is to try to listen to the same episode on multiple different feeds at the same time and see how well synced up you can get them.
0: It's like that Flaming Lips album. What was where it was like four CDs? Yeah, and you were supposed to put one on each CD. Was like a different track. Yes, play all four at the same time to make a real listening experience. Yeah, oh, except of course. So put on four different episodes at the same time and see if it syncs up. That's right. they all all four ended up being about a Roderick Strong match at the same time, but (laughs) It's, um, it's it's harmony, exactly. Yeah. Matt, we have a, a lot of, uh, you know, we always try to cover the news that between the last Ring of Honor show and the one we're covering on this episode. There's a little bushel of news here. There's actually a few different stories of different bits, different levels of interest, although I think there are a couple particularly interesting ones, including this first one. This comes from the Puerto Rico section of the Wrestling Observer newsletter. It's not, not a place we go to often on this show. Uh, Dave wrote. IWA Puerto Rico is working on television deals in Panama and Colombia. IWA has some exposure in Colombia already because the Telemundo station they air on in Puerto Rico goes on direct TV into Colombia. A governmental leader in Colombia who is such a huge fan that he orders the Ring of Honor DVDs is trying to broker a deal where they get on local television and use that to build up a major event. And he wants some Ring of Honor talent on the shows as well. So... I, I, I looked up IWA Puerto Rico on KJ, like the shows that happened after this news story. I didn't see like an influx of Ring of Honor talent, but it would have – like I have no idea like did the – this and apparently this important governmental leader in Colombia, did he ever get – like I, I have no idea if he ever got his wish and like, I don't know, book Samoa. I, I assume not that he never got to book like Samoa Joe versus like Alex Shelley in Colombia. Well, it, it's there definitely
1: always, wasn't an, a Ring of Honor show in Colombia. We could say that. It,
0: Exactly. Oh, you're forgetting, uh, you know, Bogota Battle? You're forgetting my favorite? Like. Yes. Um, um, honor reclaims Bogota. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's just interesting. It's funny, like, you know, we talk about, you know, everyone talks about Tony Khan, the big billionaire. and there's, like, the Saudi Arabia Prince, obviously, that gets big WWE shows now. It, it's funny that there isn't I, – I guess we probably have the right amount, but part of me almost feels like it's, it's funny that there's not – like another rich person out there like that 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 doesn't happen more often where a rich person is just like you know what i got money to blow like i'm just gonna book a crazy level of talent in my weird you know not i mean nothing's weird but like in my place that would not traditionally run a show of this level
1: if andrew yang had become president of the united states would like there have been like a wrestling match at like the inaugural ball
0: (laughs) not since uh the Destroyer attended Jimmy Carter's inauguration with there been that much wrestling uh at an inauguration. But
1: did that actually happen or you're just making that up?
0: I, I think I think I might have been confusing the other person, but no, like Jimmy Carter and the Destroyer, I think, were like I think, like, his wife or something. I think, like, Rosalind Cutter was, like, a fan or something. It's definitely a story. It's a story that Dave Meltzer's told on Wrestling Observer Radio multiple times. Like, that comes up once every few years just because it's such a weird piece of wrestling history. Yeah, I know his mother was a big, big, big fan, yeah. Oh, that might have been, yeah. So, um... Next up, we have also going to the Observer. Former Ring of Honor wrestler John Walters, who retired due to burnout from working a regular job and being banged up, returns the action for chaotic wrestling in two weeks. He hasn't even contacted anyone at Ring of Honor about returning, so there are no plans with him. That's always weird. Like, I look at KJ's, like, he doesn't wrestle a ton, but he does, like, start wrestling again at this point and throughout 2005. And it is kind of weird again. Like they had just turned John Walters to join the, the embassy it actually seemed like it might have some potential. And then he leaves. And th- like the way that I, I don't know anything more than the little bits of reporting we got from the observer, but like, it always sounds like it was like kind of, you know, like the way the story just here, that was John Walters idea. But yet when he comes back, the idea that you don't even contact Ray, Rainf- I mean, maybe he just decided that he didn't want wrestling to be that high pressure or be that committed. Uh, Even onto the Ring of Honor level, but it's it's an interesting story because usually you know it's not usually you don't see wrestlers just drop off the face of the earth by their own volition like that.
1: Yeah, he does do a show in two thousand six, a Boston show, and now he's back in ROH. It's like uh, so many years later, seventeen years later or whatever. Pretty crazy. You know what would have been cool if. even if it was just for one or two shows, if when they did the Steel Cage Warfare with the Embassy versus Generation Next in December, if instead of having Nana on the team, they had Walters as the fourth guy and Nana just interfered, you know? Um, yeah. I think that would have been cool. Yeah. Personally, I think that would
0: have been too. I mean, the manager thing, sometimes, you, you know, it's fun for a couple spots, but generally in like war games or stuff like that. I don't want to. I, I mean, I know like they in the past they had like James J. Dillon and stuff like that, but I I, I kind of just like wrestlers in my War Games stuff like that. But
1: right, right, yeah, right. In, in, the, the... In, the ori- in the original War Games, JJ was in there. That must have been what they were like thinking of when they had Nana on that team. But yeah, it does make it seem like the heel team is weaker than the face team yeah, when exactly. one of the one of the members is not a regular at that point. I mean, Nana obviously had been a wrestler, but at that point, that wasn't his role.
0: Yeah. But we will cover that in due time. Uh, Next up, uh, the Observer also wrote, WWE will be allowing James Gibson and Spanky to work here until November, and here being Ring of Honor, of course, when they are scheduled to start up full-time there as of last word. So the interesting thing about that was very quickly, this turns out to be not the case for Spanky because he's only on the very next show after the one we're covering tonight, which is just a week later. And then he's um, he's back in WWE, although actually it's weird because between this show – and the next Ring of Honor show, which I think are only a week apart, Spanky works a uh, a house sh- a SmackDown house show. Then he works the next Ring of Honor show we're going to cover. Then he works some FIP – then he works Velocity. He uh, beats Paul London in his return to TV. Then he works some FIP shows, and then he goes back to uh, WWE full-time. So it's a- he's in this weird little thing right now where he's kind of simultaneously wrapping up his commitments on the indies and already starting to work in WWE again.
1: Yeah, I remember that, and I, and I, um, I remember actually going out of my way to watch that Paul London versus Spanky match too, um, when it was on Velocity, and it was, it was fun. I remember Spanky seeming very happy to be back. Although I can't remember now, I think did, if they called him Spanky or Brian Kendrick, because I feel like in his first run he was Brian Kendrick, then they made him Spanky, and then in his next run they just made him Brian Kendrick again, right?
0: Yeah, I I'm not I'm not sure. I mean my memory is like Swiss cheese and so that's way too far back, even though I just literally looked up his match results for this era today, just preparing a little bit for the show. But memory
1: is delicious like Swiss
0: cheese. <laughs> Great on a Cuban sandwich. But moving on. Um Matt, this is a very minor thing, but I just want to Talk about how absurd this is getting. So I'm going to read these two stories back to back. Pro Wrestling Torch. Game Sapolsky tells the torch regarding Roderick Strong. He is having a great year and now it's time for him to step forward. We'll go to the PW Insider. Expect a super big push for Strong, who has really upped his game in recent showings. Matt, I'm just pointing this out because I think I have seen in this year of Ring of Honor that we're covering, 2005 so far, and we're halfway through the year, maybe 10 to 14 different between the observer pw insert and pw torch roderick strong is gonna get a big push soon roderick strong gabe says is doing great and like that's all true but like it it comes i think i feel like it's come up every month the entire year when i just go back and do all this research like it's it's like they keep planting the same story and they keep reporting as if they've never in fact I, i i left out in the same week Mike Johnson, PWSR, wrote a separate Ray of Honor column where he again said, expect big things for Roderick Strong. So, like they could not stop saying this and he's going to have big things soon, but they just kept reporting it over and over again.
1: The definition of news isn't part of it that it's like new. Like, yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, it ceases to be news when you've already reported it seven or eight times. Um, so, yes, I agree with you. Like, okay, Enough already. We get it. We know that already. If you you don't have to tell us again. And also, and like, if you watch point. the sh- if you watch the shows, like he's already getting pushed more. Like it's very obvious he had a main event title match. He beat Matt Hardy. Okay, yeah, exactly. the push has started. Okay, so you don't have to tell us it's going to happen. <laughs> it's happened. Yeah, like
0: like when you say expect big things for him. Like he's the one guy Ring of Honor put over Matt Hardy when they had him in for three shows. Like doesn't that already count as like clearly the big things have started for him? But yeah. they kept reporting this even afterwards, which is again kind of why I report why I decide to include this just to go. Guys, calm down a little bit. I'm, I'm talking back in time, obviously, but calm down a little bit, guys. Um, and that brings us to it works. What if it works? What if,
1: it, what if, then you look, what <laughs> if after the show, after it goes up, you look at that old Observer again, and those, that story is gone?
0: It's the uh, Bernstein Bears effect, but with wrestling. Yes. But we, ha- we do okay with listeners on the show. Some people think we have 10 listeners. We do okay, but I don't think we have that much influence, Matt. But we, we shall see by the next episode. Um, one of a, one, one of those
1: la- one of those ten listeners happens to be Father Time.
0: <laughs> um, we have one last story before we get to the show itself. Actually, there's also a whole second show that happened that we have to cover briefly. But this is the longest story, but it's also I think kind of the most interesting one. This is again from Pro Wrestling Insider, Mike Johnson reporting. Uh, Jersey All Pro Wrestling's Frank Ayadivia, I, I- Apologies if that's a mispronounced name. People always just refer to him as Fat Frank. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Anyway, he issued the following statement this evening, quote, Due to outside interference from Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky, Jersey All-Pro Wrestling Manager has canceled the September 10th match between Homicide and James Gibson in Rahway, New Jersey. I feel bad for all the fans who are looking forward to this classic encounter and have been robbed by the actions of another promoter. According to both Iodivia and Sapolsky, the issue was over James Gibson, who currently holds the Ring of Honor title, losing cleanly to Homicide as planned. The bout was booked prior to Gibson winning the Ring of Honor title from CM Punk several weeks back. Sapolsky said that in the past... Whoever has held the Ring of Honor championship has never done clean jobs when when, when champion and working for other independent companies, so what would be different in this case? He also noted that in the past, when working with TNA talent who held championships, he would go to TNA to make sure he had their approval over their champions losing in a Ring of Honor ring, noting the recent Christopher daniels Matt Hardy match as an example. So Pulsey said that Jersey All-Pro didn't contact him with any ideas, and his primary concern was that the Ring of Honor champion didn't lose cleanly in the ring due to all the work that has been put into building the prestige of the belt when it became clear that there was going to be an issue with the match jersey all pro canceled gibson from the booking so Polsky made it a point to say that at no point did he ask gibson not to work the jersey all pro event jersey all pro were officials were very upset about having to deal with the restrictions of another company on a show they were running which led to their D- decision to remove Gibson. "Quote: could have asked us to respect his championship, not tell us what we had to do on our show," said Iadivia. Jersey All Pro was also upset about the turn of events because in the past, Ring of Honor had used previous and current Jersey All Pro champions and booked them to lose clean on Ring of Honor events without worrying about whether the belts had any bearing on the Jersey All Pro championships. Sapolsky so responded, "At no point in the past had Jersey All Pro contacted him asking that Ring of Honor protect any talents that were being used." and he didn't keep tabs on what belts Ring of Honor regulars held in other independent companies. Shortly after the After this article was posted, Sapolsky wrote the following note on the Ring of Honor website's message board. Quote, if you you check PWInsider.com, you'll see a little story about us and Jersey All-Pro. I might write a response to it later as there are two sides to every story. But if so, it is simply to address our side. The bottom line is that there is no war with Jersey All-Pro and there won't be one. If they want one on their side, it'll be like masturbation because we won't be involved. So... Matt, uh, this was probably like you know like you know the, you know the
1: funny thing is is for me it's it is involved if it's like masturbation because like you know that's what I, Ring of Honor that's what I use never mind
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were really excited at Grand Slam no um that's not Ring of Honor that, that, well it was a Ring of Honor alumni big match Matt um I think the big for the record here was is, not
1: doing anything sexual at Grand Slam I want to make that
0: <laughs> no, extremely clear this was not a Joe Gagné situation but. No. For for, for for Matt, I think the big question here obviously is if if uh, Gabe considers Jersey All Pro trying to have a feud with Ring of Honor masturbation, does the next year when um, CCW and Ring of Honor actually have an agreed upon feud? Is that mutual masturbation? Is that sex? Is that oral? Is that sixty nine? What what is it, Matt?
1: Um, well, I can't wait to watch it again and decide for myself. <laughs> What kind of what kind of sexual act the Ring of Honor versus CZW feud is, um, you know. Uh, but like seriously though, do you um do
0: you take a side in that dispute? We've talked about this a little before. I am really I can see both sides on this. I, I am conflicted because on one hand. I get. Hey, you want to um, make your title special, and if you can do, that's one way you can make it seem a little more special. On the other hand, I can see other promotions, especially if you don't know Ring of Honor's booking plans. Like they were saying in this story, Grizzly Pro books James Gibson versus Homicide before they know, you know, before James Gibson becomes the champ, and that changes the booking. And I can see also from even the wrestlers' point of view, like, are we getting paid enough money to then have to be like carry these extra booking restrictions that? Might not necessarily always cost them bookings, but will make – it's one more hurdle they have because, yeah, definitely at this time, if you watched other indies, you knew when the Ring of Honor champion wrestled in other indies, it was going to not – they were not going to lose clean. But the one thing I will say in the other way before I quit rambling here is just to double check, I also – while I was at Cage 2 actually looking up Spanky, I was looking up uh, – Aries and Samoa Joe, the previous two Ring of Honor champions had long reigns because Punk had a really short one. He was already on his way out. I just wanted to see like what they did in other indies. And one thing I, I think is important to note is Ring of Honor did not let their world champions in this era lose clean. But they didn't make them win every time either. Like if you look at Joe and you look at Aries on the Indies, there are double pins, there are draws, there are countout losses, there are disqualification losses. I mean, they were, and I think, you know, it's still a restriction on other promotions, but it, I think it is a less, you know, it, it is a, a level down and you know, there are ways that and maybe those aren't the most satisfying ways, but I have a feeling, you know, knowing the history that I've, and it, with the quote Gabe said about like, they didn't even present us with options. I have a feeling what he's saying there is basically like, look, if they had come to us and said, can James Gibson lose by, you know, some kind of schmaz or disqualification, or can it go to a draw? They would have been fine based on Ring of Honor history. But clearly when you look at the story, it seems like. They were told, you know, you want Gibson to lose, Gibson can't lose, and they just went, well, fuck it, we don't want them, we don't like that we feel like we've been misled.
1: Yeah, um, stories like this for me, it's kind of hard for me to see them objectively because, like, I'm not in the wrestling business, so some of this wrestling business logic, even though I've obviously followed it for so many years, still seems just irrational to me. Like the idea that it wouldn't make any difference if the Ring of Honor champion lost in another indie. Like that would have any effect on Ring of Honor's business or prestige at all. I don't know. I just can't wrap my brain around that. In two thousand five, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like would it really have mattered? Like would it really have had made a single difference in the way ROH fans saw the ROH title? Like you know what I mean? Like like and, and I obviously I get that in wrestling history you just think of things that way. But like in practicality, would it have really mattered?
0: I mean, At that that's, it's something that's definitely changed in indies now because I don't think any major indies nowadays, like in terms of like, I don't think like PWG or evolve when it was around. You know, places like that had uh, much of a problem with their champions losing. What about ROH? Like, I mean, ROH is still ROH. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean. I, you know, obviously AEW does, and I think WWE would if they loaned guys out. But for the most part, you know, lower-level wrestling now, I think they're more open with that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, but, like, at that time, like, even at that time, would it have mattered? Like, I, I'm i just very skeptical that it would have made a difference, like, that it would have made any difference.
0: I mean, this – yeah, because this kind of – I think the Ring of Honor's fan base, like, they're very aware. Like, you know, they're much more kind of – I don't want to say smart, but just kind of – Like, they're aware of what wrestling is, and they're not going to hold against the wrestler. Like, it reminds you of how, and we'll get into this more in a few episodes, but I've already mentioned it before, I think, where, like, Dave Meltzer, when he was hearing about Joe, Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi being booked, was really concerned because he was like, well, Kenta Kabashi's going to have to win, but that's going to hurt Ring of Honor's draw. And and it was just like, I think there's still a lot of a mindset of, like, you don't realize the fans aren't going to care if Samoa Joe loses to Kenta Kobashi. Like, you know, I'm not going to say no loss would be meaningful. But fans would be able to realize, like, oh, he lost because he had to. It's not like, oh, Samoa Joe isn't cool anymore because he didn't beat Kenta Kabashi. And I feel this is kind of in a, a similar mindset. Like, oh, if if James Gibson, you know, loses to Homicide in, in Jersey All-Pro, well, it, you know, the Ring of Honor title is diminished. I Yeah, I, I agree with you that, like... I don't think the average fan would have felt that way,
1: or any fan, literally any yeah. fan. Like that—that's that, the thing that I'm—I get it. Like I don't think it would have—I don't think it would hurt him in the eyes of anyone. Now, also, I think in this situation, it's like to the extent that Ring of Honor has any control here, it's really about James Gibson himself, right? Like, and, and homicide. Like, we're, if Gabe doesn't want us to do this finish, we're not going to do it because, like, I can't imagine if the promoter of 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 Jersey All Pro. Was willing to like shit on ROH and Gabe in that way he did publicly. He probably would also be willing to just not listen to him if he said, Hey, don't make our champion job. He'd probably say, N- Okay, I don't care what you say. You know what I mean? Like, I'll just do it anyway. But it's actually the wrestlers that probably would say, Uh, we're not going to do that because Gabe doesn't want us to, right?
0: Yeah. And that that actually – there is going to be an example of the next Ring of Honor World Champion doing a clean job at another promotion. And that will that'll be something we'll talk about, Matt, in the first episode of 2006 because that actually leads – it, it ends up resulting in like a chain reaction where a lot of major things happen because of that. So, yes. But uh, next up, we will go to – Before we cover the show today, which is Night of the Grudges 2, it was a uh, a do-or-die pre-show happened, and obviously we did not watch that. In fact, unlike the other do-or-dies where we just didn't watch them because they were just minor pre-shows and we don't count those because we want to – Watch Ring of Honor and get to all the good stuff before we're 80 years old. Um, This was one where it would have been impossible, Matt, for us to watch this even if we wanted to because I believe this is Do or Die 5 was the first Do or Die pre-show ever that did not make it to DVD somehow. I know the boys in Honorable Mention, uh, listening to them talk about Night of the Grudges 2 – Shane Hagadorn mentioned that he has a like a, about a half an hour of the show just the, of the Ring of Honor students that they decided to save the footage of. So it was filmed, but just never made it to DVD. And I, th- I believe they uploaded that for their patrons. So if you're really interested in, in that, that's a perk for you there. If you go to a uh, find their Patreon, but so this is one though. Most of these matches, you know, I don't think are available anywhere. But there is a PW Torch live report from Steve Crispy, and there is something interesting, Matt, about this that will play on the major show. So. First off, the first four matches on this show were were a it was a one night tournament where the winner would get future Ring of Honor booking. So the first four matches would lead to a four way main event. So first match was Sauronaro, He defeated Antonio Blanca. Uh, second match was Steve Madison defeated Davey Andrews. Uh, Steve. Oh, this, by the way, this is uh Steve Criskey gave this as a report to a live report to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Krisky uh, writes, I missed the first two matches because I arrived late, but by less than 15 minutes. So both must have been extremely short, factoring in the entrances and the time between matches. Third match was Claudio Castagnoli beating Rain Man. Um, Steve writes, Claudio's rich European gimmick was fairly over with the crowd. The match was decent, but neither guy was especially impressive, which... I mean, I, you know, hey, maybe that's true, but it is funny when considering, like, when you, when I read through this entire card, you'll realize he is like, the one guy that really makes it out of this, uh, pre-show. Um, next up is Darrell Clark defeated Jay Fury. This was their bet, the best match of the afternoon show. Hands down, Clark wowed the crowd with his incredible athleticism, and Fury managed to keep up with his pace despite his stocky build. Next, you had Smash Bradley, Bobby, and Derek Dempsey defeating the Heartbreak Express and Shane Hagedorn. The babyface team were all grads of the second class of the Ring of Honor Academy, and Bradley wore a mask. I'm not – by the way, we see that later like when the students run in for a later match during the main show. and I got coughed I forgot that. I got coughed. I was like, what the heck? Someone's wearing like just a mask is in the ring right now. But anyway – uh, Steve writes, I'm not sure how Hagedorn, part of Ring of Honor's first class, got stuck with the Heartbreak Express, a quasi pretty boy heel team from FIP. There was a lot of comedy, including plenty of gay joke spots, and a lot of multi person action in this match. The new grads were pretty lost through most of the latter. A passable match, but too long. Lacey defeated Sumi Sakai, The match wasn't anything spectacular, but was one of the longer and better women's matches I've seen in Ring of Honor, with a good mix of technical, fast-paced, and comedy spots with good crowd heat. Then the outcast killers defeated EC Negro and Pele Primo. The outcast killers looked good in a rare post-Embassy Ring of Honor appearance. Negro had good heel charisma, and the homicide trainee lived up to his mentor fairly well, using a similar mix of strikes, submissions, and power moves, but Primo was the real standout here. Another recent Ring of Honor grad, he looked like a miniature version of Sal Renaro, who's pretty small himself, and he basically played a Spike Dudley role, bumping around and getting stretched like crazy. He oversold everything, but in a good way, and he got across that he was the eager baby team with the reluctant heel Negro. Of of course, he eventually took the fall after the killers hit the suplex dropper f- drop kick finisher, and he took an exploder like finisher from Negro post match for good measure. And poor Pelle, because uh, I didn't include this, but Matt on the main show after the first match, which is this big hardcore match with all sorts of gimmicks, Pelly had to then be the guy that swept it up afterwards, and like the crowd apparently like joked around like sweep it up, you know? That's, what they, always,
1: that's what they always did, sweep it up, assholes, yeah. sweep it up. That was but, like the, but, the classic cha- I guess, from ECW days too, right?
0: Yeah, but imagine, you know, going through all this, you know, you get turned on by your partner, you lose a match, you sell the whole match, They you have to come out a couple, you know, into the main show to be the sweep-up boy, you know, but Pelly will get some more shots of glory. And last two matches, Sterling James Keenan, a better known now as Corey Graves, defeated John McChesney to retain the IWC Championship, so that was a different promotion, I believe, in the Pittsburgh area. If you want an illustration of the difference between Ring of Honor and a typical indie promotion, look no further. Keenan and McChesney are IWC's top two homegrown stars, yet they failed to put on a standout match on Afternoon Show for Ring of Honor. It wasn't bad by any means, just disappointing given the buzz that McChesney has been getting lately. And then finally, the main event. Sal Reynardo defeated Steve Madison in a 4 corner survival survival match with Jarrell Clark and Claudio Castagnoli. The winners of the first four matches earned spots in this match, which was for, quote, a spot in Ring of Honor, unquote. However, they they define that. Not surprisingly, this was the longest match of the show, lasting about 20 minutes. Clark probably got the match, gotten in the match the least, despite, or perhaps because of his impressive performance earlier. I'd call this the second best match of the show, with all four guys generally looking good. The action eventually broke down to a four-way mess, and Renaro hit a springboard spinning kick on Madison for the one, two, three... Um, finally, just the final notes for he, he uh, gave for the show, this was a decent show, but definitely shorter and not as good a, as uh, Do or Die 4, though it's hard to complain when tickets are only $5. Clark was the only prospect who stood out as being particularly worthy of a spot on the main roster, though Casagnoli, Theory, and Renaro were also fairly impressive. Attendance was roughly 250 people.
1: It's very funny that the um, the gimmick was that the winner gets a spot on ROH shows and then already Jarrell Clark not the winner, has a spot on this very ROH show we're about to review.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's the funny – yeah, that was the funny thing. Where, of course,
1: also a lot of those guys have been on ROH shows previously.
0: But yeah, if Sal Renaro gets a backstage promo on the main show, the guy who won the match and the guy who lost it gets a full like good-length match, like showcase match in Ring of Honor. So they they actually the hype point.
1: up Sal Renaro a lot on this show. Like it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. And uh, Gabe had a bunch. He, was, he talk about someone giving the same quote to everybody. Gabe was giving the same quote, it seems like, to almost everyone around the show about who he's bringing in. Because we'll go to the torch. Gabe Sapolsky he says he was impressed with the depth of the talent on the recent tryout show, Do or Die Five. He says he has already booked Tony Mamaluke, Adam Pierce, Salonar, and Jarell Clark for future Ring of Honor events. Quote, everyone did as good as I expected with the afternoon card, and it's clear that there is some talent that can be brought in to freshen things up, especially in our mid-card, he says. I think other faces from Do or Die 5 can come in and contribute in a big way. It is tough getting everyone on a show. Sometimes I wish there were more spots.
1: Tell that to
0: AEW. <laughs> next we'll go to uh, the observer some of the undercard guys are starting to get phased out as they want to uh, freshen up the midcard among those expected to start coming in as regulars over the next few months are Adam Pearce as an old school heel Tony Mameluke Salmanaro, Claudio, and Jarrell Clark and then finally gave out a bit of a different quote for uh, PW Insider Ring of Honours Morristown, New Jersey event will also be the next step in a shaking up of the roster, as there are a number of new names coming in regularly. Quote, there are a lot of guys that I think have a lot of potential, said Sapolsky. Tony Mamluk is always great, and he is better than ever now, and has had some tremendous matches in FIP. Adam Pierce is my kind of wrestler. Just a great old-school type that I think has a lot of untapped potential. Abyss is a great guy, and I think the most improved worker in the wrestling business over the past couple of years. So, it's funny to see how many wrestlers like you know, Gabe, all these guys get shots, but how many of them don't stick? But A lot of you know, the
1: FIP guys didn't stick.
0: Yeah, and and that's the other thing. We're in the era now where we're really seeing the FIP become kind of like the Ring of Honor farm where a lot of the guys Gabe's giving shots to now are guys that have ha- had are, are regulars in FIP. and In fact, a lot of these guys, even if they don't work out in Ring of Honor, will continue to be FIP regulars long after they get shots in Ring of Honor. But... Uh, finally, we are finally through to the show itself. Night of the Grudges 2 took place August 20th, 2005 at the Men in Sports Arena in Morristown, New Jersey, from a report crowd of 600 fans. PW Insider wrote at the time, this past weekend was the promotion's final time in the menu as it wasn't cost effective. Matt, here's the weird thing. I, I was kind of shocked reading that in a weird way because for those who don't know, like – if you watch these shows that were in the men in sports arena, it could probably see between like two and 3000 for wrestling. And you, whenever there's like a crowd brawl or something, you really see just how big it is, how it's a bigger arena for than Ring of honor really needed. And I thought, well, maybe they got like a really good price then, Cause why else would you book an arena that big? But upon learning that, like it was also too expensive for them. I wonder if they, they just couldn't for a time find a better arena because I believe they said that final battle, you know, it's a different building. I think they said, I read somewhere it was their either their third or their fourth building different building in New Jersey in two thousand five. Like it was their third. That- it was their
1: third. Yeah, I and and I was I did go to the show and it um yeah I mean I sat in the you know the stands and yeah it was a, a big empty arena kind of like it was it was weird um but you know th- it was the only time I ever saw ROH in a place like that where it was clearly just like way too big for them.
0: Yeah, they you know, usually book size appropriate venues, and this one, for the most part, you can't tell until again the camera has to shift around. Then you go, oh man, this this is a minor league hockey building. There's 600 people in it. But um, next, you got uh, the Pro Wrestling Torch Road. Kids gotten free with an adult ticket for the show uh, matt did you try and get any kids in you know do a favor for some kids you know be like hey you just start shouting any kids you know anyone under 14 you want to come in free to a wrestling show <laughs> just get near me <laughs> um trevor pro- yeah um, <laughs> i'm talking i'm not get your mind out of it who am about- i nick, who Pete? am i nick
1: weiger um are you mike mitchell <laughs>
0: Um, i'm the spoon man you're the booger boy but um even though i'm the vegetarian here
1: um no but no no but what i what, what did happen this is one of the few roh shows there were two of them in the entire time i went to all these roh shows where i um where uh my dad went with me um so i tried to get in i was like i'm a boy <laughs> and they were like you have facial hair and i was like barely <laughs>
0: I just picture you with like one of those like cap, those fez caps that have like the little spinny propeller on top, and like a giant lollipop in your hand.
1: <laughs> you you brief. picture me like that because of the picture I sent to you of me with that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You keep it. You keep it hanging on your. You keep it uh, magnetized to your refrigerator.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's an inspiration to me every time I go to make a bad microwave frozen dinner, but. Um, Yes. PW Insider actually gave a little context about why they did this uh, kids getting free promotion. They wrote, the theory behind this is that it will give them a bigger crowd on television, which I thought was a weird choice of words for PW Insider to use because I guess they just mentioned, I guess they meant on DVD because Ray Vonder wasn't going to be on television anytime soon. But anyway, give them a bigger crowd on television. Plus, it might get some parents to spend money on merchandise for their kids. Ray Vonder's sister promotion, Full App Impact Pro in Florida, recently did its biggest houses using similar promotional tactics. Matt, did uh, did your dad buy you any DVDs at the show? Did this work, Matthew? Did
1: you- I don't. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Um, I don't remember if I got any DVDs at this show. I uh, I usually did at, when I went to live shows, unless you know it was like a double shot, then I wouldn't get them at both. But like, uh, yeah, I, I'm
0: assuming
1: that <laughs> my dad bought me some DVDs.
0: <laughs> I said, Dad, please. You know it's fine cuz I, I assume like kids get in free like I I know the uh, the logic behind it you know and I'm sure it works in some instances but I just know it's fine because like I know in my city and in my city's like 150,000 200,000 people with the outlying area it's not a big city but like anytime a restaurant says kids get on get in free it's been my experience that 9 times out of 10 that means they're like two months away from going out of business like I I don't I, I'm sure it works somewhere but I've never seen many businesses do kids get in free and have it like change the business for them
1: no i think it was probably more of just like a hey let's make sure we have as many people in this building on this night as possible because our ticket sales aren't great that's probably what it was
0: I mean in theory it works because the kids drag the parents who then buys a full price ticket and maybe a piece of merchandise or whatever. But like also what kid that's like a 10-year-old is going to be like really into 2005 Ring of Honor. Like they're on the message boards and they're like, oh, I'm big into U.S. indie wrestling that can only be bought through mail order. Right. I I imagine the
1: kids that were into Ring of Honor either had a parent who was into it or an older sibling who was into it, right? Like I don't think they, they, they discovered it on their own, right?
0: Yeah there there were no casual fans at this point maybe at best a kid wanders by and sees like a leaflet on like a wall somewhere and goes dad there's wrestling can we go it says i can get in free like maybe that but yeah um and what would they have thought <laughs> you want me to take you to see someone called homicide grim reefer no um
1: yeah no grim reefer had no name in roh yeah
0: we'll get to that actually we'll get to that very quickly because we opened the show with Julius smokes homicide ricky reyes and grim reefer the rottweilers standing outside in front of a brick wall um Smokes shouts out a bunch of his usual catchphrases, and he hypes up Reyes for his big match with Jay Lethal tonight. Then he hypes up Homicide for his world title shot. Homicide says he's always been screwed in Ring of Honor, but tonight he has an insurance policy. If you're wondering what the big insurance policy was, I from watching the entire show, I guess it was a chain, which he's had on other shows. I don't know what else he had that would even qualify on the show as a big insurance policy. But, uh, Maybe it was he a literal
1: a big insurance policy that they took out. <laughs>
0: I guess Grim Reefer. Lloyds of London. (laughs) Homicide was trying to get that sweet, sweet Kurt Henning money. But um, we cut to Spanky backstage. He's wearing a cool Mr. T-shirt. I guess it's a Mr. T -t t-shirt. He says he hates to break it to James Gibson, but titles mean more than friendship. Spanky says their time is very limited in Ring of Honor, and he did what he had to do to get a title shot tonight. He doesn't care if Homicide's in the match, too. He's winning the titles. And then, Matt, we get what is a rarity for Ring of Honor in this era, and some we get more than one of on this show. We get an honest-to-God, not just a a video package recapping a feud, which we get fairly often in Ring of Honor in this era, but it's an honest-to-God music video where it's cut to music, and it's all to recap – The Carnage Crew-Ringcrest Express feud, which ends on this show. and In fact, it ends right here in the opener, which is a weapons tag team match. The Ring Crew Express of Dunn and Marcos defeat the Carnage Crew of DeVito and Loke in eight minutes, four seconds. When Marcos pinned Loke after he hit a senton off Dunn's shoulders while he was sitting on the top rope and threw a ladder that uh, the the Carnage Crew was on, Um, Matt... This was the Carnage Crew's farewell to Ring of Honor and almost – they only did a few other matches in indie wrestling according to k ever after this. So uh, the end of the feud, end of their run. What do you think about this match?
1: Well, I I wish – like, OK. So there were things that I liked about this match. I liked the fact that they opened the show with a wild brawl. That's not something that ROH does almost ever and I thought that was a nice change of pace. These guys clearly put themselves through hell by blading and doing big bumps and all this stuff. I do wish it was a better match. It, it really was a series of weapons moves and not a lot more than that. I didn't really feel the structure of it. But um like can't can't knock the effort, right? They were they were trying out there. They they were not holding back. Um you know um wait, right, very early on Marcos hits DeVito with a DDT on the floor. Loke throws Dunn into a ladder um, in the ring, sending him and the ladder flying to the outside. You get the blade job very early. They're using a toy wrestling ring as a weapon. Uh, uh, Loke like, took the ropes off of it and started choking Dunn with the toy wrestling ring ropes, um, which – can't say i've seen in other matches uh that might be the
0: most meta spot i've ever seen in pro yes
1: yes i imagine you know if that happened once it's probably happened more than once but i've never seen it before um marcos starts bleeding too i'm not even sure how that started um but you know the, the the first holy shit chant of the match and the night was devito breaking the toy wrestling ring over the head of marcos um you know there's there's table suplexes loke actually is bleeding a lot in this match uh, dunn puts loke uh, on the ring barricade over two chairs leaves him sitting there for just way too long and eventually dunn comes off the top to the floor um, trying to put loke through the barricade and fortunately loke moves because i feel like it would have been too silly if he had just stayed there the whole time but dunn goes crashing through the roh sign um, the announcers at this point say they don't even know if it's a falls count anywhere match so they'd had not established the rules even after the fact, even though the match was pre-taped. Um, but, um, okay. Um, they do a thing where they bridge the table between the apron and the guardrail. Um, meanwhile, they start using computer keyboards. Uh, they do a splash mountain neck breaker combo through that table on the floor. Um, they, they do a death Valley driver on Loke through another table propped up in the corner. Um, They do a lot of, like, trash can shots throughout the match, including an assisted senton onto a trash can on top of DeVito. Then the ring crew express get little guitars from under the ring, cute little baby guitars, and they smash the Carnage crew with them. Um, I don't think they were, like, ukuleles or anything. I think they were just, like, guitars. They were just small.
0: Um, they were just the cheapest ones they could find,
1: yeah, probably. Yeah. And easy to wield, I guess, at, at that at that yeah. size. Um, they prop Loke up on a ladder, set up two chairs in the ring and come off with an assisted senton through Loke, through the ladder and win the match, meaning they win the feud, I guess. Um, so as you can tell, they did a lot of big spots. It wasn't unentertaining, but I don't think there was really any like – glue to the match like i feel like some of their other matches had better flow to it um but like i said they tried it wasn't boring the crowd seemed to enjoy it well enough it didn't get like great heat or anything but you know the crowd treated it as like you know the crowd basically treated it like one of those wwf like hardcore title brawls from like 1999 2000 where it was just like this is a fun collection of goo- of goofy weapon spots i don't feel like they were emotionally invested but they were happy when the ring crew express won
0: yeah, I, I uh, pretty much am right there with you on all of what you said. Um, I probably have like a slight, I, a bit more of a taste for like a, a fondness for hardcore matches. Than you, even though I'm not like wild, like I'm not a guy watching death matches every month or anything. But like, no, you watch them every day. <laughs> but, but like you said, there are there are you know it, it's good effort. There there are some big crazy spots. That spot where uh, done does the crash and burn leg drop off the top, you know, through the chairs and the flimsy barricades. And that was a crazy bump to take. That keyboard spot where the keys, you know, guy gets hit in the head with a keyboard and the keys go flying everywhere. the crowds chanting keyboard. Um, like stuff like that is entertaining. And like most of these Carnage crew matches at eight minutes, it doesn't overstay its welcome. So I mean, if you're like not huge into this, it, it it's over relatively quickly. Um, but like you said, I, I think this match, it was just, I wrote – I used the word hinky, which I don't even know what it means, but I just thought that was the right word when I was writing my notes where – like, You, said, you said
1: hinky with an H, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, H. H is the first letter of that word, everybody. Hinky. <laughs> yeah, not, I, I, Yes, not not K. H.
0: <laughs> that will be for later. No, um, but I, I just thought – like, they were working really hard and there were some cool spots, but there was a lot of guys kind of stumbling around here, like trying to maneuver around all the plunder, guys that kind of didn't seem to quite know what to do or like what was the next thing they were supposed to do. At one point, you kind of touched on this, Loke goes for a cover on the outside and the ref has to tell him this isn't a false count anywhere match. Um, it just, just weird stuff like that. It, it, it just, there's, there are matches like this that have been done and I, it's weird saying criticizing a match like this for not being smooth enough, but they're just like the seams were showing on this on a bit more. Like even early on, this is one of those matches where everyone bleeds in the first two minutes. Um, but when if you watch, when everyone it seemed like their cue, every single guy's cue was someone else is going to throw you into the barricade and then you can just crouch down and blade there because that's where everyone was blading. And look, when it happens to him. Like, the camera doesn't cut away quick enough, and he makes, like, no effort to sell. Like, the second he goes into the barricade, he's immediately grabbing a razor from his wrist tape, and he's not hes not even acting like he's hurt. He's just like, yep, time to blade, and then the camera moves away, but it's, like, very clear. He's just like, yep, yeah, throw into barricade equals time to blade. But if you just want to see a few big crazy spots, you know, with not much, like, really – I mean, they've had better brawls in terms of just – pace and momentum, but if you just want to see something crazy, there were a few crazy spots here and lots of blood, but Matt, we also got in this, what I would say might be, I don't know if it's a ring of honor first, but it's another ring of honor rarity. Did you know that, did you catch that? Um, I'm sure you caught this, but at one point... There's a picture-in-picture shot where Marcos hits a Tornado DDT on the outside of the ring while the other two guys are wrestling inside the ring. And they actually do, like, picture-in-the-picture. And it's weird, like – I don't think this is a permanent thing going forward, but between, like, the music videos and the picture-in-picture and stuff like that, it felt like there was a bit more production on the show than most Ring of Honor shows, which is fine because the show is not remembered fondly. But yet this was probably, like, in some ways – had like the most production bells and whistles of any of Warner show we've seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is it's a short show, so they have yeah. more time to like futz with it a little bit um, and put in a lot of padding, as we will see later. But um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because you see, like, they have these skills to do that, and they clearly just decide, eh, we're not going to bother. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> forget it. <laughs> it's not worth it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it was. It was cool to see. I guess.
0: So, yeah, this was like uh, the Carnage Crew's final match at Ring of Honor, and I don't think we're, we, sometimes when guys leave, we talk a fair bit about them, like CM Punk. I don't think there's a lot to say about the Carnage Crew, but I will say, like, now that we've rewatched every match they've had on the main Ring of Honor shows, um, like, I don't think they've had one match I would describe as great, but I like them. I, you know, I thought they had fun charisma. I feel like they always worked hard. I feel like they added a variety to the shows. Most of their matches were like this, where you know, it's not like the catch crew gave you like an eighteen minute match where you were bored out of your mind. Like even if you didn't love what the catch crew did on a given night, they were always pretty brisk about you know getting in, getting out. They added a dimension that most shows didn't have, and you know, I I do feel like this was probably the time for them to go. I feel like you know if you had been watching since the start, you would kind of. Seen their act enough, where if like if this was the territories day, it's not like their act is bad, but it's just like th- it's time for them to go somewhere else. And unfortunately, you know they are I they don't really go anywhere else. In fact, I think the only wrestle that look at Chash like three or four more times after this together. And one of those times was in 2021 teaming with New Jack in what I believe was New Jack's last match before he passed away a few weeks afterwards, which is like a crazy bit of history for the crew of all people to be involved in like you barely wrestle in the last 15 years. But when you do wrestle, you're wrestling in like New Jack's final match. That's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, it's quite a distinction. Um, it's just yeah, weird how the world works. I will say this is just for their part about the Carnage Crew. Yeah, you're probably right. They didn't have any like great great matches, but I think they had a couple of memorably good ones. Um, for one, I, I I have pretty fond memories of the match at Round Robin Challenge Two Retribution where they wrestled the Texas Wrestling Academy guys. I thought yeah. that was a really really good brawl. I enjoyed very much um scra- uh, the uh, scramble cage 2 where they wrestled special k you know it was a i believe what we called it when we reviewed that show at our best was that um joe versus jay briscoe was dinner and the carnage crew scramble cage match was dessert and yeah. i thought it was a very satisfying dessert um i think that they um yeah i i by the way if you remember i really enjoyed their promos like uh not not so much during this era but earlier on, um, when they were doing, first doing promos in like 0203, I really liked their whole vibe of like, you know, Loke would say a bunch of things. Um, then DeVito would sort of like back him up. Like, and I, I thought they were a good, unique characters. And yeah, I mean, I ne- I'm not going to say never, but I don't remember too many times where I watched a Carnage crew match and I was like, ugh, you know, this is just terrible. Like I, I feel like they, they mostly did a solid job of what they were asked to do
0: yeah and I, I just like any time you have you have people on the roster that kind of guarantee that you're going to get different matches like kinds of matches on a show where, where you know you're going to get variety and you know you, you, you know I know some people did not like what the current crew, you know their thing, but it, you know I, I always appreciated that there was always, it was always going to be something a bit different than what you would see on most of the rest of the show so
1: and they were better at scrambles than they get credit for. you know people think of them as the brawlers, but they were pretty good at those high spot
0: fests. Yeah they were a fun always usually in, in scrambles like you know they weren't doing the high flying although Devito could do the big moonsaw but like they would be like a fun element that they would they would be able to integrate themselves into those kinds of matches and it not be a detriment to them which some might not think that looking at them and thinking oh you're in with a bunch of high flyers but no they they worked pretty well in scrambles so um Next, we go backstage for a Nigel McGuinness promo. You had me post this on Twitter. Um, Nigel, it's a very quick promo. Nigel says, I don't care what Colt learned in England. He's been up for 36 hours sniffing glue, and he's about ready to kill somebody. Tonight, he ends the Colt Cabana-Nigel McGuinness feud. Um, Jeff Swartz from Honorable Mention, after I posted that clip, he informed me that apparently this was a uh, a tribute to Tracy Smothers, who had said this something to this effect before. But uh, Matt... I don't think glue is uh, here's the funny thing, like I've never sniffed glue um, maybe something for the future, but like I don't think glue is an upper, is it like they did like I've been up 36 hours sniffing glue like that almost sounds like he's treating glue like it's cocaine I, I don't I, I, glue doesn't keep you awake Write in through the years at gmail.com if glue keeps you awake like uh like speed or something.
1: so this was your issue with this promo. Yes. Did not accurately represent the effect that this particular, um, toxin has on your brain.
0: Um, I don't think he's being true to the drug experience Matt. Okay. Fair enough. I,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, yes. And thank you to Jeff Schwartz for sharing that. I didn't know that either. Um, watching that without that context, it seems like a pretty unusual promo by Nigel McGinnis. Um, and, um, but like, you know, That's the fun of wrestling. Like I feel like that's a great wrestling promo, right? It's just like a ridiculous thing to say. I've been up 36 hours stiff and glue. I'm about ready to kill somebody. Like that's a fun thing to hear a wrestler
0: say before a big brawl. I like the idea that he's preparing for this big feud-ending match just sniffing glue. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Either that or he doesn't care that much. Like, like oh, I don't need to do it. I, I'm just going to sniff some glue. Yeah, or it is, it to is
1: nice to picture the idea that this character was being absolutely literal about it. Like, this is what he had been doing to prepare for the match. Just You just picture him just sitting somewhere, sniffing glue for 36 hours. <laughs>
0: Uh, that brings us to the second match on the show. Azriel defeated Jarrell Clark via pitfall in ten minutes forty seconds after he hit a top rope double stomp. So as we mentioned earlier, this creates the weird thing where Jarrell Clark, the guy who lost a match to get a spot in ring of honor, is wrestling on the main card, and the guy who won the match isn't tonight, so that's the weird thing first but um, so what I will say about this match is so there's a really weird thing about this match, I would say, which is you know we've seen this fairly often in ring of honor and and you know you see this a lot in the indies in general which is when the uh, experienced veteran of the company wrestles like a brand new guy in his first show a lot of times the veteran will give the the rookie a lot of the offense and then they'll win the match in the end because the idea is well i'm going over in the end i'm already over my spot's more safe so i'm gonna basically like let you showcase and try and impress the bosses impress the fans and earn a job like generico
1: I, against aries from a few weeks a few exactly shows ago, yeah.
0: for those who you know who remember that show that we covered recently that's yeah, absolutely. That's the perfect example of the world champion or the form, the recent world champion. And he gives Generico, who at that time wasn't, you know, wasn't the generico we would know years later in terms of his stature on the Indies. He was more of just an up and coming prospect. And Aries just gives Generico a, a ton of the match and then picks up the win. But um I think what's weird here is Asriel, I feel like basically does that with Drew Clark, except when you look at Asrael's career, like he was you know, he needed to have that kind of show stealing performance. And instead, I would say he was almost too generous to Jarrell Clark, because Jarrell Clark, I would say, gets like seventy percent of the offense here. He gets to do the most impressive, coolest stuff. And when you watch this match, I think you come away from it going, like, oh, Jarrell Clark's I'm interested in seeing that guy again. And you come away thinking of Azrael, like, oh, he's a good solid wrestler, but yeah, he, you know, he he was a good base for Terrell Clark, which I almost felt bad for watching watching Azrael wrestle this match. Um, it it's a good solid match. They do a very like kind of the fast counter standoff sequence that a lot of indie matches have. It's a little bit slower than like uh, that's the one area I feel like where wrestling has really progressed in the last last fifteen years, where it's even smoother and quicker, but. Most of this match is kind of more mid tempo, where each guy picks a body part. It's mostly uh Jarrell Clark works on Azriel's arm. He does a decent job. Shop, does a decent job uh, selling it. Azriel I think works over Jarrell Clark's back. He but he doesn't do it very much and he doesn't sell it very much. But this match is mostly about Jarrell Clark gets to do a bunch of cool offense. So Jarrell Clark is a really good athlete. Um, he does, you know, a big handspring moonsault off where he bounces off the ropes and then comes back and does a big moonsault. And he does like uh what I think is one of the coolest spots of the whole show. He there's this move where, um, how do I say this? Uh Azrael's standing in the corner and he's telling me like being hurt, but he's standing up, he's in the corner, and Gerald Clark's standing on the apron right behind him. So Jarrell Clark like jumps to the top rope on in one co- side of the corner then he does he jumps across to the other side of the corner and basically lands like leg drops um asriel's arm as it's like lying on the top rope and he, and then he flips down to almost like an arabian press and it was just very smooth and athletic but it was also like A lot of times in wrestling, you know, it's athleticism for the sake of athleticism. This felt like, you know, it was really cool and athletic, but it also made sense, like he's jumping to get to this guy's arm, which just happens to be vulnerable and resting on this rope. I thought that was a really cool move. Um, I I thought the match overall was like above average. It was like, it was a decent, solid kind of showcase match for Drell Clark. I just, again, I just felt a little bad for Astro because I felt like he let himself get a little bit overshadowed by Clark
1: yeah i mean that's a good point about um azriel being too generous maybe that was you know his problem all along um but you know it worked out for Jarrell at least just as far as like this match goes because you do go away from this match being like oh i did not expect Jarrell clark to look so good on his debut in roh like honestly it's one of the better recent debuts for a guy um i to the point where i'm like oh it's surprising that he didn't get booked more because he clearly had something like, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, it's not that he blew anybody away, but it was honestly, this is probably one of the more satisfying matches of the show overall. Um, and, you know, maybe because partially that's because of expectations, but I thought it was good. I also thought it was fun. I did not know this, that Terrell Clark called a move with where he does the six one nine into the crucifix style submission in the ropes as the clark bar which (laughs) i think that's a great name for a move like a really great name and i want there to be another wrestler named clark who does it now and you know just pay jarell clark royalties or something i I was looking jarell clark um you know he had a pretty you know decent run on the indies in the in the 2000s and he was out of wrestling for a while if cage matches any indication and came back a few a little bit before the pandemic and it doesn't look like he's wrestled since 2019 but you know uh he's he's was pretty solid here and the one the one other thing i noticed um so sometimes we criticize you know or not criticize but like tease the fact that cm punk you can sometimes like see him calling spots um Asriel did some very audible spot calling in this match did you notice that like you could literally hear him yeah
0: yeah it. a little bit yeah and um, but it's it, not, was, you know, so, not, so again, That, that, that so. kind of makes it clear that he was probably the one leading this match. Which again, right. you know, just you need to be a little more selfish, buddy. Because man, you really gave him a lot. You you acted like you were Austin Aries, and that your spot here was like completely solid because you gave him a lot here.
1: Yes, definitely. This is a match where Jarrell Clark is the person you remember afterward. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. Like it was, it was good. Like it was, like you know, not like really good, but like fairly good.
0: <laughs> one spot I, I just want to mention too that I really liked was. Um, you know, um, there's a, there's a spot where Jarrell Clark basically throws four drop kicks in a row. He throws like two drop kicks rapid fire. Then the, he goes for like a third one and Azrael avoids it. So Jarrell Clark in midair just turns into like a backflip and lands on his feet. And then he throws like a fourth one. I think that turns into a drop. salt, so, and I was just like, it was a rare spot in wrestling where I got winded just looking at like, I was just thinking, man, that like, that looks so, Fatiguing to throw like four drop kicks like that, especially two variations within the span of like 15, 20 seconds. I just thought, yeah, you know, wrestlers they're good athletes. Matt, who would thunk it? I, yeah, it, it,
1: Asriel you know, did did a lot to, you know to allow Jarell Clark to look good, but he did look good. Like, like yeah. you watch his match, and you think like, oh, he's he's got potential.
0: Well even you go back to the uh, report from the do or Die, you know the guy who went to the sh- that show said Gerald Clark was the most impressive guy on the entire show, so i he mean, was he
1: was obviously on on this particular night,
0: yeah, so next up, um let me just see quickly go here uh, I got lost in my notes, Matt, but anyway, after the match, we see that Azrael is busted open at the eyebrows, so a tough night for Azrael. but that brings us to our next match, Jay Lethal defeated Ricky Reyes scored to the ring by Grim Reefer and Julie smokes via pinfall in 11 minutes, 19 seconds after he hits the dragon suplex, Matt, the thing I got to say, I want to know what you think about the match, but more importantly, what the hell is going on with the number of times ring of honor now has had Grim Reefer on a show, had him interfere in matches and this will come up later and they will never mention his name. This, the, the announcing tight is Lenny Leonard and uh, Dave Prezak. They just call him a thug. Like Matt, I can understand maybe if you're bringing a guy in, you know, to do a spot duty just for one show. But Grim Reaper, like we saw him on a recent show, I believe it was the what the Homicide Jay Lethal match, where Grim Reefer's like running in the ring and doing spots, and now yeah. he's doing another show. He's he's outside for the promo. They won't mention his name. They act like they don't know who he is. Like they, I didn't have it, get they had
1: this. him at the home. He was at the homecoming too. He gave Homicide the chain to win, beat James Gibson with um so like yeah he's around and he obviously has wrestled in roh before under his wrestling name the grim reefer they do the same thing with monster mac obviously monster mac is not around as often so but like you know i've been complaining about this since 2003 episodes so what's that 20 20, uh, 2018 that we started going over that stuff uh you know how i feel about it i feel like we need to get an answer to this like what was the thought here why can't they mention these guys names um maybe shane hagedorn knows we got to, we, he'd be probably the first person to ask right maybe he has my, an
0: idea my only theory is and I've, i think i've said this before is if, if ring of honor knew they weren't going to book these guys in matches they didn't want to name them but the thought was, is then then why have them show up at the show and do interference then why not have guys do interference that are actually members of the roster so like because like they, they, then the heat's getting translated to somebody that you don't want to use like i or you don't even want to name them i don't get it
1: I also it, think so that weird. it's fine to name them even if you're not going to have them wrestle
0: it is absolutely yeah. but it, it's it's the only conceivable reason why I could say why well, they they constantly just go, "Who is that thug you know like
1: see it feels very w w e like you know what I mean like where they want to just have this weird control, you know whereas like you know, one thing that's kind of refreshing about AEW now is that it treats the wrestling world like just it exists, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if someone shows up and they're not a big part of the roster, they still have history, they still are who they are. You know, and like you'd like an indie to be that way too, but there's this idea of like we have to have or ma- maintain tight control over this world and this universe and you know, we're different than what else is going on in the wrestling world. You know what I mean? Like does that does that yeah. kind of does that analogy work for you? I don't know.
0: But but it's weird than that, like I mean Grim Reefer, he's on the show, he's interfering in two different matches, including one of them being a world title match. He's in promos. And he's in promos in the background like like he's all over the show and they won't mention his name. It, it it's bizarre. Yes.
1: Agreed. Um yeah, I don't know, I don't have an explanation, but it's 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 it bothers me. It has for a long time. Um as far as the match, um it it didn't totally work for me. Like I'd say it was fairly formula and the execution was mostly fine until the last spot which I will which I will get to but like it's I think Ricky Reyes is a good wrestler a lot of the time. I really liked his match with Samoa Joe if you remember that from Round Robin Challenge 3. Um I don't think he has much charisma on his own. No. Like like I think when at least at this in this era, you know, like you hear stories about him like, you know, like that Samoa Joe CM Punk shoot interview where he sounds like he's obviously an entertaining guy, has a lot of personality. He does not show it in this era of ROH when he wrestles singles matches. Um I I don't know if you agree with that or not, but like Oh, absolutely.
0: Like like yeah, he's just uh and there are people like that you've heard in the wrestling business where you heard people say that like oh this guy that doesn't have charisma in front of the camera like backstage he's the most charismatic guy like don't they always see that like dean malenko has a like a really wild like or, like really good sense of humor or <laughs> yeah. something like like you know things you wouldn't think of when you watched him wrestle you know but right
1: and i think that's what um that's what makes like these matches I think a little bit on the dull side. It's funny that they actually they had they had the Havana Pitbulls, then they sort of never didn't have both of them together for a long time. Romero wrestled a lot in the spring. And then he went away, and now Reyes is wrestling a lot, but they're not, they're not together anymore. I think that's kind of, kind of interesting. Anyway, but like you mentioned with the Grim Reefer, um, early in the match, Leonard asks, like, who is this unknown thug? And he says, he's never seen him with the Rottweilers before, which (laughs) obviously he's been there for at least like three or four other shows. Um, so that's ridiculous, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a fairly, you know, formula match. You know, Reyes is on offense for a bit. Get some good kicks in. He's um it's not very exciting. In fact, at one point ray um Prezak says Reyes throws some lethal kicks. And I was like, No, you reverse the words. It's Reyes <laughs> throws Lethal some kicks. Is what you meant to say. Um but um you know, and then you know, Lethal makes his comeback. Reyes is is mostly working on uh Lethal's back during the match, you know, throwing him into the turnbuckle, driving the knee into his back while pulling his hair. You know, Lethal does his comeback um, a few times, you know, like before getting cut off. And at one point, Reyes hits a top rope move on Lethal. And before he does it, he yells, Fuck you, New Jersey. This place stinks like ass. And I was like, Well, that's the highlight of the match so far. Just him saying that loudly and bluntly. <laughs> um, at one point, uh, Lethal cuts off a superplex with a DDT off the ropes. And both guys are down. And lethal attempts to do that fiery babyface comeback but the crowd does not get that fired up um hits a jumping ddt onto reyes who's standing on the mat for two um reyes avoids the running suplex and they try to german each other but eventually lethal reverses that gets the running suplex hits the headbutt for two um so this is when lethal goes for the dragon suplex and grim reefer distracts enough for Reyes to hit a low blow and a Fisherman Buster for uh, a two-count. They get a few more uh, near falls. After Lethal kicks out of a a powerbomb, that's when this crowd actually finally starts chanting uh, for him, getting into it. Um, Lethal avoids a kick and hits the dragon suplex, but like it's not as well executed as it normally is because Reyes does not get all the way over. It's kind of an awkward dragon suplex, but Lethal gets the win on it. And uh, yeah, I thought... The least entertaining match so far, technically obviously much better than the first match, um, but I thought it was the least entertaining of the three matches so
0: far another one where I completely agree with you, like this is technically competent, but honestly fairly boring like i can 't say it 's worse than like an average match because you know, like they didn 't really do anything wrong. And, and like you said, it's kind of, you know, like a formula match where Reyes controls a lot and that plays to Lethal's strengths because I think he's good being the underdog who fights from underneath. And, you know, I've said this before. I always like how Lethal – he'll do like these one-move comebacks before he does like the big comeback. So he'll fight back a little bit throughout. It won't be just him getting beat up on for five minutes straight. But, you know, it's just these little one-move fights peppered. And then when he makes his real comeback, you really know it's the comeback. Um, I, You know, I felt like he, it was kind of a cool showcase for his biggest offense because he does most of his coolest moves here. He does the big flying headbutt off the top. He does his leg lariat, but he does it off the second rope. He even does, like, a second uh, sit-out gourd buster off the second rope. So, like, you know, he got to show off some of his coolest offense, and, you know, him getting the win here, the story is, oh, he finally beats a member of the Rottweiler. So, you know, it felt more like a showcase for him. But, yeah, it, it's Ricky Reyes is the problem here, and... Ricky Reyes is technically a fine pro wrestler, but he's just no charisma. He's just boring, and I, I hate to be that harsh on somebody. Well, in, in
1: this context, during this time, you know, because like obviously he had a longer career, and like he doesn't always, you know, this is just one context that he didn't really work so well in.
0: And it's funny because, like, Prazek on commentary at one point outright, like, says, like, you know, Reyes' offense is methodical, and he just meant that not as a just as a matter of fact, but I would say that's kind of the problem. And, like, there are wrestlers I love who work very methodical matches, but if, then you have to either be really good at telling a story or have a really good character or charisma, and the problem is he doesn't really have anything else. And so you see him, he's very methodical and very kind of – until his big moves at the end, like – kind of low, like almost more old style offense. Like at one point in this match, and he's done this before he, he, um, tries to pin lethal after he hits a body slam, like just a regular body slam. And that just seems really weird in 2005 ring of honor. Like, that you're trying to win the match after a body slam like that seems like something you would see on wwf superstars in 87 but
1: like but like you know and like not to you know make this obviously unfair comparison to anybody but like when brian danielson does that it works yeah you know? like he does a body slam but he does it like he does it like a brian a danielson body slam you know what i mean and like in the context of the match like it it's like oh man like he, he has such an intense body slam that you can he can try to beat a guy with it you know
0: yeah, there, there, there's something – again, it, you can do something simple or methodical, but you've got to have kind of that something special behind it that extra – that emotion, that delivery, and he just – raised at least here, does not have that. I felt like the two things that I remembered most from this match from his end, the two most entertaining things, like neither of them were good things probably. Like one is raised does this big back heel kick that looks like he got lethal right in the face. So I thought, ooh, that's cool, but it, it was cool because he be probably like really – hurt lethal a little bit. And then I also noticed if you at – the, at the entrance of his ma- – before the match, as he's like coming to the ring, you know, he's jaw jacking with some fans. He spits at some fans in the front row like, like spit flies and I think hits the fans. And I thought, holy shit, like that that seems kind of harsh. But um, those are the things I remember most from this match. Other than also um, I continue to hate, you know, J- Julius Smokes. I love the guy, but he does – the word, he, he's horrible about never ever making any attempt to like hide his interference. And here, like, he and Grim Reefer both together, together throw Lethal into the barricade, like in full view of the ref. And it's so aggravating we're like, you have, you know, in this match, Reyes has two guys you know managers on the outside, one of them can't distract the referee, like you had to have all t- both of them together do a spot that the ref can see. you couldn't have one of them distract the referee. It's, it's stuff like that where like i've never seen a manager like make less effort to hide what he's doing than Julius smokes but
1: um, <laughs> come on there's something charming about it too. <laughs>
0: Uh moving on we get another music video recapping the Nigel and Colt feud complete with some very odd kind of dramatic music that didn't quite fit the tone of the clips but it, again I appreciate the uh the music videos. So what we got next was Colt Capana defeating Nigel McGuinness via pinfall in 1732 after he hit a big lariat to counter an attempted Nigel uh rebound lariat. So the story going into this match was this is this is the end of this feud of the Nigel Colt feud. And the idea was Colt a while ago he had went to the UK for a month and the whole story is, you know, he's going to he's he's come back and he's learned some UK specialty. He's gonna beat Nigel at his own game. And they did not announce on this night what this match was gonna be. They said like the whole idea was Colt was gonna announce what the rules of the match were at the show so we actually see that in a a little promo sequence before the match starts when they're both in the ring Colt comes out in a soccer jersey he's holding a soccer ball he has a breathe right strip on his nose he gets a nice cheer and then Nigel at that point gets on the mic he tells the wankers to keep their mouths shut for a second which gets some booze and then Nigel says you know I heard Colt that you had gone to England and I want to know what this mystery British themed match you've got for us is he goes whatever it is if I didn't invent it I probably perfected it Nigel says you know is it going to be a european rules match at that point when nigel says is it going to be a european rules match you hear people in the crowd just jeer and shout no and i just wrote matt a single tear rolls down my cheek because i am the only one clearly that liked seeing that match
1: chad um, campbell told us he liked it too
0: good he did not like it as much as me but okay so it's me and chad on an island um nigel asks if it's going to be a wigan snake pit match or a welsh coal miners match nigel finally just get feds up gets fed up he goes what is it why are you wearing that stupid football shirt and this gets a chant of soccer from the crowd at that point i feel like like
1: nowadays uh, a um a, a u.s or like that and like at least in the northeast indie crowd would be like yeah it is football
0: we're worldly yeah, it also, like, on commentary for this match, it, it, it's a very kind of ugly American vibe where, like, they do this little, it's kind of playful and fun, but, like, Lenny keeps calling it football and, like, Prezak's like, no, it's soccer. <laughs> Again, that's like, I feel like, yeah, nowadays they just be like, oh, it's football, but they were having fun with it being like, oh, no, it's it's football. No, it's soccer. But at this point, anyway, Colt takes the mic. He headbutts Nigel, and he says into the mic, it's a soccer riot match. He kicks Nigel in the balls so and says, ball shots are legal. He punches Nigel in the head, and then he says, closed fists are legal. He kicks Nigel and says, kicks are legal. Chops, headbutts, elbows. Colt does each one of these things, and each time he gets on the mic after he does it, says, that's legal. The funny thing and is
1: most he, of the things he's saying are always legal.
0: Yes, <laughs> kicks, chops, headbutts, elbows. Yeah he takes nigel outside he starts throw he says throwing nigel into the railing and the crowder is legal the crowd at this point is really getting into it they're saying legal after everything you know so when when not you know colt goes like you know elbows they all show legal for him so he goes chair shots are legal getting thrown in the chairs is legal and then colt ends by saying that basically everything in a soccer riot match is legal so yeah that, that brings us to the match basically the rules of the match is it's a false count anywhere no dq match um First thing, the thing I want to say about the match itself is I th- I like the conceit of this feud in, in, in this match in the sense of like I said earlier, the whole point of this feud of this match and the way the feud was building was that Colt didn't just want to beat Nigel, but he wanted to beat Nigel at his own game, which is why he went to the UK and learned more of the style and he comes back. And in one way you would say it kind of works against him because he finally works this match and it's not really, a, it's a UK, a European match in name only. It's just a complete false count anywhere gimmick brawl. And in a way, you could say, like, isn't that kind of a heel move? Because it's kind of Colt almost admitting that he can't beat Nigel Fair. But there's something about Colt and his charm and the way he does this, where, like, it, this whole match has a very kind of ugly American vibe because got the crowd, he's getting the crowd to chant USA and booing England and stuff. But, like, there's something about it. Normally, I don't like the ugly American vibe to stuff like that, where the crowd's just being xeno, xenophobic and stuff like that. Some reason, Colt... I felt like on this night, it worked. He made it work. And the other thing I like about this match is, I, I, I'll, I'll say right off the bat, I think this is a great match. I think this is like, not a like match of the year candidate, but like I would say this is four stars. It's the first seven or eight minutes, Colt completely dominates, and it's just this kind of, pretty violent brawl like he uh colt throws just a whole bunch of chairs on nigel until they like form a pile on him he he throws nigel down a flight of stairs you know they're brawling in the crowd and the first seven or eight minutes it's all colt ants again fairly violent brawl and then they get back to the ring at that point it becomes much more of a wwf like pay-per-view style like gimmick match where like you can tell the they're wrestling like they don't like each other but it's not that bloody brutal ultravite it's more about just hit you with props but like you know but i thought it was a very good version of like a WWE pay-per-view gimmick match for that era and and there's lots of little neat nods to the um to the feud, like, they do a lot of nut shots in this match, and knowing that's how, like, the feud started was Nigel hitting Colt with a nut shot and pretending it was you know, fa- he didn't mean to do it when it turned out he meant to do it. Uh, there's a nice callback where you know, Nigel uses the the iron he often carries to the ring, and then later Colt brings on an actual, like, electric iron with a, with a pl- like, a cord and a plug, and he hits Nigel with it. So spots like that I thought were fun. There's a fun moment where, you know, Colt Brings out a soccer ball. Nigel gets control of the match. He tries to kick it at Colt, and I guess he misses, probably not on purpose. And then the ball flies in the crowd. The crowd has to throw it back in. And then Colt, again going to the ugly American vibe. Colt teases that like he's going to kick Nigel with the ball, and then he just grabs the ball and throws it and hits Nigel like using his hand. So not again, not respecting the rules of the UK, but. I just thought this was a, a fun match. There was, it, it was a fun blow off. It was, it was a kind of a throwback to you know, again, it reminded me like I was watching a good 2000 WF pay per view main event. And before 13, I'll just say, I also really liked. I felt like this match, like a lot of times, cult and comedy wrestlers in general, they they work where they'll they'll like the first half of the match is comedy and the second half of the match is serious. It's like they flick a switch, and I felt like this match, like. I felt like the whole match had a good middle tone, where it felt like a, like a like a feud ender between two guys that didn't like each other, and it felt sufficiently violent, but it also kind of felt like there was comedy in it throughout. But it felt like integrated well into it. It felt like not some comedy and then some serious, but it just felt like the whole thing felt like a cult Cabana's version of how you blow off a, a, a feud, and, and I really enjoyed the tone they set. The only thing I didn't like about this match really was a couple spots near the end. The first one was the biggest spot of the match, Colt's on the top rope. Um, Nigel hits him with an iron, and Colt falls off the top rope through a table that was set up at ringside. And Nigel pretty quickly goes to cover, and Colt kicks out. And very shortly after that, Colt's, Colt's back in the ring doing offense. And I realize this is a feud ender, so you go bigger. But I felt like that was a pretty huge spot to kind of blow off very quickly. And the other thing to finish itself is, like I said, it, it's uh, Colt hitting a lariat of his own when Nigel's going for the rebound lariat. And I think if this was during an era like a year later where, Colt, where Nigel had really established the rebound lariat, it would have been more over to do because it, it was kind of a cool end. And it was a really nice lariat from Colt. But at this point in Nigel's career, like the rebound lariat had started to be something he did in every match, but still hadn't gotten over quite yet as like one of his biggest signature moves that he would do all the time, like often multiple times in a match. A and so, yeah. And so seeing this match where the end of the match, you see all these big gimmick spots and this wild brawl. And then it just ends with a close eye. It felt like even the crowd, the reaction wasn't quite as big as it could have been. But overall, I would say like, this is a four star match. I really enjoyed it. And I, Obviously I'm a big fan of this. If you've listened to the show, the, all the shows leading up to this, I'm a really big fan of this. You know, I think every match they had was really good and I really enjoyed this.
1: Yeah, I um I think 4 stars is pretty fair. Like it's yeah, it was very 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 good. Like, you know, it was not legendary good, but like what made this match great to me was that it was so fun. You know, it was like you said it did start out violently um but it also started out with cults doing a really amusing call and response to get the crowd involved and this was not one of the hottest crowds roh ran during this era to say the least but the crowd was having a ball and i remember this very well like this was absolutely the highlight of the show live um you know they, they do the call and response you know everyone's saying legal like that's so fun like that's like you know i'm surprised no one's ever you know tried to copy that because yeah. it, it worked so well um you know, and Colt, you know, it's a soccer riot match, you know, whereas like you said, it's basically just a, a no DQ false cut anywhere match. But it is, you know, Colt still made the theming work because he brought a soccer ball out. They used it as a weapon. He wore the soccer jersey, the uh, the football jersey. Sorry. Um <laughs> and
0: I know I'm an ugly American. Um, Alan Cudahan going to be so mad at you, Matt. You're, yeah. you're making you're making a tear run down his face now.
1: Yeah. There was some of the ugly American stuff. Obviously, like as an American, I wasn't as attuned to it as you are. You know, It was like it felt a little bit more lighthearted than some of like the this, the more upsetting stuff wrestling has done when it comes to xenophobia.
0: I, I think it was all done – like I, I, I probably can't have a harsh – I think it was done in like a funny – Like lighthearted way, like there's a spot, for example, where Colt chants USA and Praizak on commentary says America number one, you a cockfui, like you know. He was being, he was being, he was being,
1: but he was doing an iron cheek impression,
0: you know. I know, like I know, but I'm just saying that's that's the kind of the level of it where it's not it's not mean spirited, it's just goofy fun.
1: Right when when Colt when Colt was teasing kicking the ball at Nigel. And you know it, it kept missing, so he just threw it. Um, mm-hmm. And then Lenny Leonard said, "In America, we play sports where you use your hands." You know, like I feel like that's yeah. the uh, that was like the most intense that it got um, when it comes to that stuff. But you know, again, it was goofy. I actually thought like the announcers seemed to be so loose and having so much fun, and I really rarely saw those two let it loose that much on ROH commentary, yeah. and that made the match more fun too. Um, when they fought in, up, the, up the steps for one they rest they fought really close to where i was sitting um i wasn't on camera but they, they felt fought, they fought really close and that was a lot of fun you know knocking each other down the steps and like there was a spot where colt teased that he was going to jump off a big you know a big entryway and you know nigel ran away that was a good spot um yeah and when they got back in the ring they did a lot of fun stuff i agree with you about the finish in the sense also besides the nigel thing how often did Colt win matches with clotheslines? I know this wasn't the only time, but, like, it wasn't common, right?
0: Yeah, like, he doesn't even go, try to do the Colt 45 in this match.
1: Right, like, yeah, I think that would... Obviously, he hasn't done the Colt 45 in a while, but I think yeah. one of the things with Colt is that so many of the times he wins, it's, like, with a roll-up, right? Yeah. So, like, that, you know, he, he hadn't really started doing the, uh, what was it, the Billy Goats curse, he did that for a little while in his, later in his ROH run, um... You know, he never really stuck with a finisher actually in ROH, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. But um yeah, it was just it was just a lot of fun. There was there was one point where Colt set up Nigel for the Shattered Dreams and the crowd started doing an ole ole chant and when he lands the kick he starts celebrating like he scored a goal. Like yeah. this it was like a party atmosphere and it's really hard to do a party atmosphere in a fairly moribund crowd, which <laughs> right, I mean wasn 't it kind of like that for most of the show and
0: yeah, and I mean it gets worse later on, but yeah, like this yeah. I mean the crowd here you wouldn 't think it was that bad, you know like again, I think you had the perfect way to put it just like there's a lot of crowd participation like where he shouts goal, you know you know the crowd w- loves t- doing stuff like that to channel along with you in just simple ways like that to make the crowd feel like they 're involved
1: it was a super fun, enjoyable feel good um brawly match like and if you like wrestling and that's great you know you don't get a ton of that in roh so big thumbs up here
0: big fan also i I love something i've learned re-watching these ring of honor shows in 2005 i like any show in a minor league hockey building because i love spots where wrestlers get close lying over hockey boards it's just the canadian in me matt um you know, there was even crowd participation where uh Colt gets two guys to hold up chairs and he ping-pongs Nigel back and forth between the chairs as the fans hold them. And one thing I realized watching this match is, like, Nigel, even when he's not taking dangerous bumps, like, Nigel, when when he is asked to do anything, like, even, like, just get his head slammed into someone holding a chair, he always puts, like everything into it like that's probably one of the reasons he had such bad health problems because i he doesn't like a lot of guys still do a little bit of hesitance he will just go full into when it's time to like get rammed into something or take a spot he just goes all the way with it and i really noticed that in this match um one thing i want to ask you though matt is it's you know it's not unheard of but it's kind of rare for ring of honor to uh have two kind of wild matches like this in such a short span of time on the same show. You said this was one of the only two shows your dad went with you to. Like, what did your dad, did, did you wonder, like, is dad going to think, like, you know, I'm just going to this crazy crowd brawly show where guys get hit with like all manner of, so far your dad had seen on this show guys get hit with miniature toy rings, keyboards, irons, um, soccer balls. Like, what did your dad think at this point?
1: I think for him, like, I, he had seen so much wrestling just because I would watch so much of it growing up, you know, that he's, he's, he's seen it all. Like, you know, it's the sort of thing where he's like, um, I don't know, I think it's all just like wacky, ridiculous wrestling to him. And he doesn't love it, but like, he can. He could enjoy it on that level you know there in this match it's not like there was anything so insanely violent you know what i mean where it's like oh my god how could you be watching this um so i think he was just like oh this is this is a hoot you know i think that's sort of what it was yeah. uh, one of the things he used to do when like in the uh, in the 90s like when i was like 12 13 when when triple h was still hunter hearst helmsley he used to always just like say his name wrong just to get me annoyed like he'd be like, "Oh, is this is 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 this match with Hurst Helmsley horse or something like that?" And I'd be like, "No, it's Hunter Hurst Helmsley dad." And but um, that's how I talked when I was twelve. And and also, still, this is a fake voice that I'm doing now. Um, but yeah, like you know, he just he just sort of like took it as silly, you know.
0: My dad, he also not a wrestling fan. The funny thing he always did was whenever he had to watch wrestling with me, or I was just he decided to, you know, spend some time with the boy. Like um, the thing he thought would impress me even when I was, like, 14 or 15, would be, like, he would watch and wait for, like, a, a big spot. And he'd go, you know, I think that one spot actually was real. And he <laughs> thought, like, that would impress me. Like, oh, he, like, he probably thought I was so dumb. This is probably what my dad thought of me, that, like, I thought all wrestling was real. And that would so, like, you know, you know what, Trevor, you, you're right. That, that, you know, when Mick Foley did that once, but I think that's real. You know what? Th- th- these guys do actually get hurt sometimes. And I was just like... Dad, it doesn't matter. It's not real. It's okay. You don't have to try and impress me this way. But
1: a lot of I non rec- a lot of non wrestling fans like will still do that when they watch it. Like how, like well they'll be like just saying, like hmm may, you know it seems like they probably do get hurt when they do that and it's like I mean yeah they, the doing that stuff does hurt. It, it was funny because like when I was a kid, um, I you know and well you know but once I was sort of like you know a quote quote smart fan. Uh, you know, probably teenager, and I would talk to people about you know some of the stuff that really goes on, like blading. I remember yeah. my, you know, you know everybody thought it was you know the wrestlers use blood capsules, um, and I would, you know, I told I think my friend's dad like you know well, actually what they do is they. Cut their heads like with a razor blade, and I remember my friend's dad was like, "No, that's what they want you to think." I'm like, "No, they want you to think that the wrestling move made them bleed, right? That's what they want you to think. The razor yeah. blade is the fake thing that they do, but actually, my, my my father still to this day, like, occasionally, if I'm going to a wrestling show live, and he knows that I'm going, like, and I tell him, he'll turn it on just to see what you know the, the thing that I'm at, you know. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, just for a little while. So he did tell me that he watched a lot of that Danielson versus Omega match this week and he he liked it and he, he told me and he, he also made the comment man how could how could they not get her doing that and he, <laughs> he also said um that he was disappointed that it ended in a draw because he was liking it so much so my my father you know i've i've um my wrestling fandom has rubbed off on him to some degree he's not going to go out of his way to watch it on its own but he is not a wrestling hater
0: so man, justin shapiro's I, I...
1: dad is a wrestling hater you could ask him about it <laughs>
0: Matt, I think what you're saying is AEW, that's proving that AEW draws casual and lapsed fans.
1: Well... I think it proves that <laughs> AEW's fans are just in their 70s. <laughs> I, uh,
0: we shall get back to the show. But I, one thing I just kind of mentioned because you brought this up. My parents used to go out for breakfast at some place with a bunch of old people, as people do when they're getting older, I guess. But anyway, they once told me, you know, oh, we, we went to dinner with – we went had breakfast with this old guy. He says he used to work for Stampede Wrestling and he told us how wrestling works and he says all the blood is ketchup. And I was like <laughs> – I, I, I spent so much time trying to get my parents to like describe who this guy was because – i want i i am convinced this guy was not in stampede wrestling no. but like <laughs> uh, i could never i don't think they saw him again i don't know for the life they, they claimed that a guy told them he used to work in stampede wrestling and that if you see blood don't believe that it's blood it's got to be ketchup
1: well trevor i think there's only one explanation for this in stampede wrestling only the blood was ketchup.
0: <laughs> I, all, all my parents gave me to go on what this guy looked like was that he had stringy, long black hair. He was wearing all pink. He had these shades on and I can't figure out who it is, but... So they don't know whatever. the name
1: of the person they ate breakfast no, with? No, no,
0: no. It was just like just a casual guy that probably overheard... they probably talk about like our son's wasting his life watching wrestling. Like <laughs> I probably heard him like, hey! As they,
1: as they do every time they have breakfast. <laughs> yeah.
0: Let, let me tell you about how wrestling was really done, kids. So...
1: I, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like you could just show them a clip of of a wrestler bleeding and being like what disgusting kind of ketchup has this <laughs> consistency
0: <laughs> yeah like you show the picture of abdul the butcher's head with all the divots and like is this from ketchup guys is, is this ketchup related <laughs> scar tissue i i don't know but uh um, heinz
1: heinz number 3000
0: <laughs> instead of 57 the, the most acidic ketchup but yeah so uh, that, that's, that was a fun round of dad talk, but we'll get back, unfortunately, to the Ring of Honor show we're covering today. Um, after the match, Colt celebrates. He, uh, he grabs the mic. Colt says there's nothing more he loves than to do than entertain the audience and perform in front of the great Ring of Honor fans. That's what he thought he and Nigel were going to do when they started wrestling each other. Things went awry, Colt says, and he says he's not here to make the Rocky IV speech, but Nigel just gave him a fight of his freaking life, and that's all he asked for. Colt says they've beaten each other, but no matter what they do, this is Ring of Honor. They have no more matches booked against each other, but he extends his hand and he says he respects Nigel more than he'll ever know. The crowd chants for Nigel to shake hands and. Nigel actually does shake hands and they embrace. Now, Matt, I thought that was a little weird just because, you know, that's one way to end a feud where the idea is, you know, it gets really heated. You know, one guy acts like a heel. But at the end of the day, they've earned each other's respect through the hard fought battles. But the weird thing about this is knowing where Nigel goes, like basically at the very next show, the idea of like doing this thing where he basically is like turning face here. Like just when his heel turn started and it's about to go back to being a heel turn, like it felt weird to do the the, the 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 kind of like we're all friends here respect finish knowing what Nigel's about to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't remember totally everything about this, so I was even surprised when I saw that Nigel shook with a, a hug, called, raised his hand, and they and didn't attack him afterward. You know, yeah. like a, I was like genuinely like, huh, that's weird, because. Um, at the end of the upcoming cabana versus homicide feud it has a similar ending but homicide actually turns face after that um so that makes a little bit more sense um i guess just the logic was this is ring of honor where that sort of thing is done you know i think that's that sort of was i mean if you watch the end of the show there's another feud that has a similar turn
0: yeah so uh next up we uh Get a recap of uh, the recent events setting up the next match. No music on this one. It's not a music video, just a recap. But we get the Ring of Honor World Title Three Way Elimination Match, James Gibson versus Homicide versus Spanky. It ends in a no contest in 13 minutes, 40 seconds. Um, Matt, you know, we cover a lot of matches on Through the Years. Honor is a pretty well booked promotion during there. We cover. We don't get a lot of infamous matches. We get to cover this one. I would say is. A, I mean, it's not super well known, but it's kind of infamous. I would say.
1: Yeah. Um. You know. It's like. Um, and so in the in the history of wrestling before two thousand and five, I'm trying to think. How many instances were there of crowds hijacking a show? Like, because they didn't like a booking decision. Like, I know that at this point they were already calling Toronto Bizarro World yeah. in WWE, but like, and like, you know, there was stuff involving like, you know, crowds turning Hogan babyface and, you know, different things like that. But can you think of instances where crowds hijacked shows famously before this?
0: No. The only thing that I can really think of, other than the examples you just mentioned, is I know like when Ric Flair left WCW in the early 90s, there was definitely, I think, early in WCW after that shows uh, where fans would just randomly chant, we want Flair. But even that would be different from this because this is the fans – they're not against the match to start, but they clearly want a very specific thing and when they don't get it, then they're very angry.
1: Yeah. So the context here is everybody knew that Spanky and Gibson were leaving – um, punk had just been champion while he was leaving and this is you know it's not new york but it's near new york and homicide was super over in new york and so the crowd thought oh instead of these guys who are leaving as champion we want our localish guy to be champion and we love homicide and we want him to win and that's he's the only wrestler we care about and so we want him to win um but I'm sure, as you all know, that was not in the cards. So as far as this match, it's, um, you know, I mean, it's action-packed there's not a lot of flow but it's actually packed but it's so like besides the point almost the match you know it's not that good that it really makes a big difference um there were some notable in things that i well things that i noted whether they're notable or not um <laughs> like when when gibson was coming to the ring and the crowd is singing along to the, his theme you could hear one guy's voice really distinctively and i was just like that is a good reason never to sing along at a show, because what if it picks up your voice way more than anyone else's? Um, I would hate that. Could you imagine, like, watching a show and realizing, oh, my God, everyone just hears me singing?
0: Yeah, I, I would I, – you could be like my favorite match ever. I would never be able to rewatch that match. I'd be yes. like, I can't do this. This is a cringe thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, also, Gabe is on commentary here, like almost like – it's weird because it's not the main event and he's not on commentary for the other world title match that comes later. So it's almost like I got to be on here to explain what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> I mean seriously, it has to be what it is, right? Like I need to be uh, able to sell this in a palatable way.
0: And the funny thing is they don't really do like much – like they acknowledge that the fans want homicide. You know, the, yeah. the crowd is chanting homicide and as soon as hom- – I mean you'll explain it but like – uh, they, they, the, to their credit, I guess they don't do the WWE thing where they try to ignore or pretend the crowd isn't turning on this. You know, they, they they acknowledge what's happening.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the crowd. I mean. Yeah. So the crowd. I mean. And and really, the turning on part happens at the very end, right? Yeah. Um But yeah. So yeah. So the the crowd wants homicide. There's actually points in the match where Gibson and Spanky are double teaming Homicide, which is you know weird because they're the ones who are supposed to hate each other more than anybody, but. Um, you know, like Gibson suplexes Homicide while Spanky grabs Homicide's legs and help take him down, which is interesting double-team move. Um, there's one point where um, they do this thing where Gibson tries to German suplex Spanky, but Homicide sunset flips Spanky, causing Gibson to take Spanky over. But Spanky lands on his feet and breaks up the sunset flip pinfall. And I'm just like, that was impressive, but it's almost like too much. Like... <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like – I I don't even like – it didn't even enjoy it because it, like, it was just so – like, there were just too many elements to it. Um, <laughs> like, it was just like, come on, guys. Like, you're just – you're showing off, but it doesn't really feel like a match there. Um, at one point on the outside, um, Julius Smokes called James Gibson a country bumpkin, which I found <laughs> extremely enjoyable. I think I just like hearing Julius Smokes say bumpkin.
0: Um I like like Julius just him being quaint. Like that seems like such a soft criticism from Julius. Smoke.
1: Yes, 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 yes. You, you know, You're a real
0: stick in the mud. Jesus. Yeah. You Can you imagine Julius Smoke saying that? Yeah, like, he
1: should actually do a do a match where like he tries to like just say all sorts of antiquated uh, insults and just <laughs> just for fun. Um, yeah. So there's. But I, I I kind of enjoyed Spanky's heel shtick a little bit. Like there were things I liked about it. Things I didn't. Like I I liked that. Homicide put Gibson in the STF and Spanky acted like he was going to break it up, but he like he just doesn't because like, it's an elimination match, um, which I, I feel like – I'm not sure how the crowd totally reacted to the match like it was elimination because they're so used to these matches not being that. But um, the announcers say he's using Gibson to soften up Homicide, which obviously makes sense. Um, homicide is working over James Gibson's neck on the apron um, and he Gibson avoids a cop killer and hits a bridging German suplex and Spanky breaks it up with a low blow so after that last match that was so full of low blows this is another low blow um, Homicide uh, does the uh, does the hilo in a pretty cool way because he ducks Uh, spanky clothesline like on the way into the dive which i think you know that makes it more impressive it's like it's more complicated to like have to like time a duck and then also time another duck through the ropes you know like i I feel like that makes it more impressive but then spanky follows that up with a dive onto homicide um spanky goes to superplex homicide gibson goes up to back suplex spanky and they hit a very wacky tower of doom spot with gibson back suplexing suplexing spanky off the middle rope causing spanky to superplex homicide off the top rope um so there i mean they definitely were trying you know like there was a lot of action here um, um so when gibson is going for the tiger driver on homicide spanky breaks it up with a step up in Zagiri then homicide hits the ace crusher off the middle rope with spanky for a, a near fall Homicide misses the top rope headbutt on Spanky Gibson hits him with the tiger driver, and that's when smokes pulls the ref out, so Gibson dives onto smokes so uh and Spanky goes up top grim reefer unnamed pulls him that's down thug. yep that's thug pulls him down, crotches him, throws homicide the chain homicide hits Gibson with the chain, and the ref counts for two, but then while he's counting, the ref sees him holding the chain, which. Is, I mean, if you're going to do this, that's a silly way to do it, right? Like, yeah. like why would he still be holding the chain? And, um, <laughs> and that's when the ref disqualifies Homicide, and the crowd gets extremely upset. They chant bullshit, um, which you do not hear very often in ROH. Almost never. Um, and while this is going on, Spanky starts clutching his knee and acting like he can't go on. And Homicide starts stomping at Spanky's knee. Then Homicide attacks the ref, starts choking him uh ROH students come out and the Rottweilers attack them and Gabe calls it a riot again which uh. is it's it's just a regular <laughs> wrestling attack um, and Gabe says homicide is ruining everything again which <laughs> <laughs> that's not what happened um, um uh, the finish was fairly logical but just not the right thing for this crowd like um uh, uh what what happens is basically Spanky they decide uh, can't go on even though it's an elimination match because his knee is so badly hurt after the attack so gibson wins the match by default which was definitely a crazy way to do it like I, i i'm trying to think of the logic of doing what they did where they stopped the match here and then just pick it up later maybe they thought they could get Gibson moreover as a babyface if he came back out and demanded to wrestle again. That way they wouldn't be so cheering for homicide. Maybe they expected the crowd to shit on this finish and that's why they decided it wasn't worth continuing the match. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, after you talk about your thoughts on the match, I'd like to discuss what we think about the booking.
0: Yeah, because I, I, that, that's great because I think there's two separate discussions, the match and the booking. So um, the match, I I would say it's Decent, but nothing special the the problem with this match you you said it was action packed, and it is. I would say a problem with this match is now all three ways have this to some degree, but this is heavy on the one guy stands outside the ring or sells for a super long time while the other two guys wrestle each other one on one like
1: and then when they th- do and then when they do three way spots, they are extremely elaborate
0: <laughs> yeah and and often sometimes they 're not even work out they don 't even work out great and uh like, like, you thought the one was convoluted, but there's another one where, um, let's see if I can find it in my notes. There's like a weird triple team spot where, um, Gibson, I guess he's going to like back suplex Spanky as he's trying to su, as uh, Spanky's trying to suplex Homicide. But the way it looks like, it's almost like they don't know how to do it. So it looks more like it comes off looking like Gibson is just lightly side hugging Spanky as Spanky superplexes Homicide. Like it's like again, like the match is mostly, Very just two guys want to wrestle each other. We don't want to do many three-way spots, but the three-way spots we do have are very intricate and convoluted and weird. But um, there was also when they did try to do the flip dive sequence. um, Spanky does this thing where he basically just flips over the ropes and gets no distance. Like he he almost doesn't get away from the apron and he basically just lands on his feet and then trips over homicide and not, not a great looking spot, but overall, it was decent action. You know, these guys are, you know, very good wrestlers, but it, it was, it, it felt like one of those three ways where the guys didn't want to wrestle a three-way because they spent so much of the match just doing one-on-one. Um, I also thought it was a bit weird because it's an elimination three-way and early on um, Spanky breaks up uh, uh James Gibson pin attempt on homicide and to the commentary's credit, I think Gabe or something, he, he tries to cover, he goes, you know, Oh, you know, Spanky, you know, he doesn't want James Gibson to have the glory or whatever. But then later on, like Spanky's breaking up, I think a homicide thing too, even though he also does that moment where like you mentioned, where he runs the ropes while homicide's got a uh, Gibson in a submission, but doesn't do anything about it. But then after that, when when homicide sees that spanky's not going to break up the submission homicide then like gets angry and lets go of the submission to go after spanky it's like well why don't you still try and win the eliminate like just weird logic things like that i thought were kind of weird i did like the story early where spanky's being a chicken shit heel and he's running away and letting homicide and gibson wrestle each other and then gibson eventually like points it out to homicide like look he's like avoiding us the whole time, like we're just letting us beat the shit out of each other. And so the homicide actually then goes and helps Gibson chase Spanky into the ring, and they actually team up on Spanky for a very short time. But then Homicide, of course, turns on Gibson where he suckers Gibson like, come on, I got him in the corner, you know, run in and hit him. And as Gibson runs in, Homicide just suckers him in and it hits him close so like. I thought that was fun, but that th- that kind of fun story stuff it goes a very way very quickly, and it just becomes more of an awkward. Three guys trying to have a three-way. So – and then before we get to the booking, just the last thing I would say I don't like is, again, the finish. I don't like – Julius Smokes again. He just pulls the ref out of the ring during an important three count and he doesn't, you know, make any attempt to hide it. You know, I guess – How do you
1: hide pulling the referee out of the ring?
0: Though? I mean, I mean, I, I wish he could have done something to distract the ref, not do that. Well, Although, although, the,
1: although it does seem to be established in general that – Three ways are no disqualification, but then you say, "But someone was disqualified."
0: Exactly, and also having Spanky sell the knee injury, but have it be from like he gets crushed on the top rope. Like I thought, I think I thought there would be a better way to sell a, knee, a work knee injury than like you got you hit your ball so hard on the top rope you wrenched your knee. I guess you could say his knee got caught, but it really, just looks like you know he gets crushed on the top rope and then he sells his knee like he's Nancy Kerrigan, but. I mean, that's the match. The match was – if we just look from an action thing, the match wasn't anything special, but it was not a bad match. But the booking, I guess we can go into that. This is the separate thing. What would you think about the booking? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I just have a lot of questions.
1: Like – well, I mean, obviously, like – I mean, I know you're probably going to read The Observer soon where Gay basically admits that this was a bad booking decision, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, why – if if this is what you expect from this crowd, like why not just have Spanky get eliminated and do Homicide versus Gibson? You know, at least then if Gibson yeah. wins, they give you give them the match they want. Like, is it really that important to do Spanky versus Gibson? Like, was a, clearly no one was clamoring for it, right? Like, and if you really needed to do it, why couldn't you just do it in Buffalo? Like. He- like, I mean, like, obviously they do Cabana versus Gibson, right? The gimmick of the uh, soccerite match was that Cabana gets to choose which champion he's going after and he chooses Gibson. Yeah. I mean, sure. It's good to have Cabana wrestle James Gibson. It would also be fine if he didn't. And instead, Gibson wrestled Spanky if this is something that you really felt you needed to pay off. I, I don't really understand why they had to just rush all this in on this show. Maybe it was because they weren't sure they would get Spanky for Buffalo. That's the only thing I could think of. Um but like that way you could give the Northeast I mean I guess Buffalo's the Northeast too, but you know what I mean, give New York their um their homicide match and still get your Spanky match in. Or just say, okay, the three way is enough. Gibson pins Spanky in the three way, and then we do Gibson versus Homicide. This just seemed like just like you said convoluted spots like this whole thing just seemed unnecessarily convoluted like i mean obviously you can't always expect that the crowd's gonna shit on your booking decision because especially for gabe which is it was very rare for that to happen like you know you had crowds booing finishes before obviously but it didn't taint later matches like the way it did here um So I'm just really not sure what they were going for. I guess this is sort of what I would say. I get that they wanted to rush in Spanky and Gibson because they were leaving. I get that the way they went to it, I don't understand, Um, and I also don't like that they, you know, it felt it just felt so screwy to do a DQ in a three way when DQs never happen in three ways. Like we like there have been three ways for years since ECW in WWE in ROH. People do all kinds of stuff in three ways. They never have disqualifications. So it just feels extra screwy to do one in that situation.
0: On a night also where you've seen two big, like, no-DQ matches with lots of plunder now, a guy gets dq for a chain, even though, yeah, it's a different match, but, yeah, you kind of go, oh, it, it's a weird t- thing to do even in that situation.
1: It doesn't feel like an ROH booking thing. It feels like a crutch that a much lesser booker would use.
0: So my thought is like, like you covered it pretty well there, you know, for people that have been following the show, show by show with us. Um, yeah, like, clearly, Spanky was, um, they were setting up a Spanky Gibson feud almost from the start of their run in 2005 to go down the road. They had te- they had done a little bit of Gibson with the homicide. I don't think it's, they did so much that you really needed to pay that off. Like, I don't think the world demanded that Gibson and homicide had to be in the ring together. But it, th- those were clearly two things Gabe wanted to do. And we know the story is that Gabe had already, already, or he had always planned for um, Gibson to beat Punk for the world title but he didn't know that Gibson was re with WWE and when he learned that he decided well I'm just going to do it anyway because uh, I'd already made the plan so clearly this is Gabe trying to basically cram in things that he probably had more spaced out through the rest of the year and he's trying to basically do it all at once and you can also see his logic of Homicide gets DQ'd, so I'm protecting the one guy in this match that's staying around, sticking around. So you could say, yeah, homicide gets eliminated, but he doesn't get pinned, he doesn't submit, you know, he gets caught cheating, which I guess is a, is a safer way for him to lose. I think the problem was one, he completely underestimated how much the crowd would want homicide to win this match. Whether, I, I want to ask you first, do you think all the crowd really wanting homicide, do you think it was all New Jersey, or do you think part of it was that the fans knew Homicide was the only one of these guys sticking around. So there was this expectation or hope that he would win the title because like, how much of it do you think is one versus the other? Cause Gabe, well, I'll read the quotes in a minute, but Gabe certainly makes it sound like he seems to think it was just homicide. It's super over in New York and New Jersey.
1: Um, I mean, it's hard to really know, but like, I know that there was no part of me that thought Homicide was going to win the title. You know, going into this show, I just, that just wasn't what they were building to. It just wouldn't have, it just didn't seem to be, to make sense at this point. So I don't really know how many people really had that expectation. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, so I do think it was sort of a thing of like, we're going to rep our hometown guy and just sort of protest the fact that these WWE wrestlers are getting so much, you know, attention or prominence on the card and like, you know that one of them is going to be the champion for a while. Again, you know, I, I mean, I I do get thinking like these guys that are leaving keep winning the title, and that's kind of annoying as an ROH loyalist, um, as much as people like Gibson. Um, so I think that's part of it. I, I do think that if if Homicide and Gibson just had like a normal, very good match and Gibson won, I don't feel like the reaction would have been as negative. I feel like it was also a combination of the fact that you know Spanky was in there too, and the booking was was pretty bad for the finish i think all of it combined
0: and the other aspect of the booking i think was real bad was and you mentioned it like um where homicide gets the two count and then the ref catches the chain because i think the problem with that is I feel like it got the crowd's hopes up and made them even more disappointed because I think there's probably a half a second where some of those fans think, you know, when the count's two after homicide hits a guy with a chain, like homicide's going to at least eliminate Gibson. And then the ref catches it and says, well, you're disqualified. Like, it would have been better if the ref just caught it immediately rather than you give them that two count where the crowd – and we'll get to that a little bit later. There's another moment on this night in the same program where, again, Ring of Fire kind of gets the crowd's hopes up for to see a certain thing and then they give them something they don't really want. And I and, felt like this is one of the things.
1: And also another way that this all could have been avoided, just put this match on last. You know, have it be uh, – have it be – you know, you could do your – You know, I hope you'd have a better finish, but even if you don't, you could end the night with, you know, Homicide on doing, uh, you know, doing promo work for the live crowd and like sending him home happy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it would have killed the territory, you know, but it would have, what it would have done is avoid them killing the rest of the matches on the show.
0: And one other thought I have about this too is, you know, the idea would be maybe you, you put Spanky and Homicide together in this three way because you want to try and pay off both these feuds. But I would say, all right. The payoff of the Spanky feud is they end up wrestling later in the night and Gibson beats them. What's the payoff of the of the homicide feud? The, the end of the homicide Gibson feud that you had to finish is homicide gets DQ'd for hitting Gibson with a chain and Gibson gets no revenge. Like, is that really a satisfying finish to that feud? Like, you don't really if, if that's your finish to the to their feud, you don't really need to do this. Well, the, the you, you only know.
1: thing the only thing I could think of to defend Gabe on that one is. I think it's possible they might have announced Gibson versus Homicide on this show before Gibson signed with WWE. Yeah. I, I'm not sure of the timeline there, but I think it's possible, in which case you don't want to false advertise. And so at least if you're not going to do Gibson versus Homicide, uh, you would at least have a match involving both of them. Um, in a
0: way, it's really commendable because it's Gabe trying to give fans everything he's ever teased. So he's he's not wanting to cancel the homicide match. He knows he's teased the spanky match, so he doesn't want to have spanky leave and not pay that off. But it was just, he tried to do too much, I feel like, you know, in one yeah. match and it kind of blew up in his face.
1: And if it wasn't before Gibson resigned, maybe it was before spanky resigned. You know what I mean? Like yeah. something like where they, they sort of had to do it. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It is commendable. Uh, just it didn't but it wasn't well executed at all it it felt
0: like what it was which is a guy trying to cram in everything into one show and it's not working out so yeah and just not um, the
1: right crowd to do it in front of either another thing is also gibson these like action three ways clearly not his strong suit
0: (laughs) yeah 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 you you, gibson's more technical build the match up not big spot fest you know no flow you come in then i come in intricate crazy three-way spot match yeah exactly um but we do have some quotes from it because this was, you know, Gabe, you know, we're fans of Gabe's booking, certainly of this era on through the years. And I think he's a guy that, you know, he was pretty in touch with his fan base at, at certainly at this era. And also, um, you know, it's not like we, we, we've talked about things that we did not like about his booking and, but I don't think there's been many up to this point in our history of us doing the show, many moment like things that, that were this, high-profile failure. Like, this is a world title match, and it completely derails the rest of the show. Like, this is probably one of his more high-profile, biggest kind of match failures he's had as a booker. And to his credit, he acknowledged it. So we'll go to, uh, first, The Observer. Dave wrote... As you can imagine, the fans hated the finish. That was by design, since it led to something later, but the vociferousness of their hate hurt the show bad. Gabe Sapolsky admitted it was a mistake, and that 100 or so fans who chanted so much for Homicide, thinking in their minds he needed to be champion because he was staying and the other two were leaving, hurt the next few matches. There was a big pull-apart after the match. Steve Madison from Florida started brawling with Homicide. The two are feuding in the FIP promotion. So that's another thing we should mention is all of that does not make tape you you just see the dq and that's it you do not see steve mass and all i assume they that was filmed just for FIPs. yeah
1: and i don't remember i don't
0: remember that at all yeah um so next we go to the pro wrestling torch they wrote Ring of Honor built its reputation on clean finishes, but lately has strayed away from that often. It is being developed into an angle where an authority figure will be brought in to try and return the promotion to its roots. Ring of Honor's website played into the angle by stating the following. Ring of Honor officials held an emergency meeting after last Saturday's show to discuss things like the DQ finish in the world title three-way and interference on other parts of the show. It has been decided that the search for an authority figure will kick into high gear. Ring of Honor officials are looking at a variety of candidates from recently retired wrestlers to recently released WWE stars to legends to wrestling historians. Ring of Honor officials are also discussing how much power to give this authority figure, including how much creative control he will get. And obviously this would lead to, uh, uh, Jim Cornette coming in. So, but finally, Matt, and I want to see if you, since you were there at the show, I want to see if you get, agree with this there's a note from one of our listeners clayton jones sent this in to me yesterday and obviously we always love if listeners who are at the shows or not the shows have thoughts or any, any interesting tidbits and he wrote about this the main thing that stands out about this show was the awful crowd i went to a lot of shows in the northeast between 2004 and 2007 and this was easily the worst ring of honor crowd i was a part of My impression at the time was the company had an influx of new fans thanks to positive publicity of late, high-profile outsiders, and hot booking, but the new fans didn't really seem to understand what the promotion was all about. It was a strange juxtaposition because the anti-WWE, anti-TNA, vocal minority was never louder, but at the same time, these fans seemed to be largely clueless to the actual Ring of Honor storylines going on at the time and anyone other than the top stars. I remember a fan near me being disgusted that something like Colt and Nigel's soccer riot match was happening in Ring of Honor, for example, despite it not being out of character for the promotion at all and easily being the best match of the night live. I brought a friend for the first time who was pretty disappointed with everything – With everything, but we held out hope all night that Joe Daniels would steal the show. I'm curious to hear how it plays out on DVD, but live, suffice to say, it did not. The only other thing that stands out in my memory was the booking around the title match, which I remember being a bit of a mess, but more so because it gave that vocal minority of obnoxious fans a chance to really show off how smart they were. Chance of SmackDown jobbers, SmackDown sucks, and my personal favorite, hey, hey, Ho ho! This Ring of Honor Booker has got to go ring down all match long. If there were any, there was any silver lining. It was that this influx of fans in the Northeast area only seemed to last a few months, or maybe they learned to enjoy the promotion for what it actually was. Now, Matt, do you remember? Like, do you agree about? I mean, that this crowd was a pretty bad crowd because I thought. They weren't an incredibly lively crowd, but I don't think they were terrible, at least in watching it as a DVD, not, not as a live fan, until this match. And then I think they turned on the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I thought it wasn't the best crowd, you know. But I remember thinking that the crowd at Homecoming also wasn't very good. The the, the other show I had been to right before this, the affiliate show – um, compared to the new york city shows so i you know i just but i think the worst thing about the crowd before you know what happened in this match is the uh is the fact that it was just, the building was too big and the crowd was spread out and like there was just too much like empty space so like it was hard to get that cool intense vibe so the crowd was just more laid back but i don't remember like specific obnoxiousness on this particular show and there were shows where i do remember that and i'm not saying that wasn't there i'm sure it was but i don't totally remember that i mean if you watch the show you could tell like it wasn't like you said it was not a great crowd and then they were very apt to um ruin the rest of the show after something (laughs) happened they didn't like which i don't think is a great quality in a crowd like depending on what that thing is like it obviously worked out with some stuff i liked like when Daniel Bryan was uh, not being pushed in <laughs> WWE but you know what I mean like if you're in a yeah. live show and you're trying to enjoy it and the crowd is just trying to crap on everything like that's you know I mean it's not great you know
0: yeah we can talk about that a little I actually have a couple of things to say about that a little later because we, we're going to get one more match with those guys but first we get a We get a clip of Sal Renaro wrestling CM Punk in FIP three months ago. A Gabe voiceover tells us that at tonight's do-or-die pre-show, Sal won a qualifying match and that and then a four-way to win future bookings in Ring of Honor. Gabe says Renaro is just one the first of many new faces you'll see in Ring of Honor. Again, the weirdness of he wins a spot, he's not on the show, but um At this point, the Heartbreak Express come out, followed by by their opponents, who are going to be Lacey's angels of Cheech and Cloudy, who who, they come out along with Lacey. Before the match, Sean Davis of the Heartbreak Express gets on the mic, and he tells Lacey to ditch her team and go home with them. The crowd loudly chants, you fat fuck at him. Davis says he's going to give her a little taste of what she can have all to herself. He proceeds to take off his ring jacket and gyrate until Lacey slaps him right in the face. Immediately afterwards, James gives runs to the right, He lays out both teams single-handedly. He grabs the mic and says, obviously, the people expressed their opinion on what happened a few minutes ago with his match. Gibson says he intends to be a fighting champion. He tells Spanky to ice off his knee up and says his cowardice is going to be another man's opportunity. Gibson said, Gibson at this point seems to be in the process of laying out an open challenge for someone else. And then Gary Michael Capetta comes out. He says, Spanky's getting his knee taped up as we speak, and he wants a shot for that Ring of Honor World title more than anything. Gary says, Spanky will be ready later, later tonight to wrestle Gibson for the belt and ask gibson if he accepts gibson says yes and this is the other thing i was talking about where earlier matt when i said that ring of honor i think one of the booking decisions would gain the crowd's hopes up multiple times the crowd very when gibson says uh, you know he starts talking about an open challenge you can hear the crowd kind of pop a bit like they're getting excited and then you immediately have gary come out and say no it's going to be spanky and i feel like again it was just you you kept getting the crowd's hopes that they were going to see something different and instead it was all paths were going to the thing they didn't want to see which was for whatever reason, they just did not want to see two guys they knew were both leaving, wrestling each other tonight.
1: Yeah. Um, I, when, when the Heartbreak Express came out, I was like, wow, I do not remember seeing the Heartbreak Express live, ever. <laughs> and, and then I was like, oh, this is why, because they were gone immediately. Although, um, you know, there was uh, some of the stuff with them and Lacey was gross, um, right? And also the chant from the crowd was gross, the, the you fat fuck chant. Yeah. and the, But anyway, um, not... Uh, you know, over pretty quickly. Um, Luckily, when Gibson ran in and beat everyone up, he didn't beat up Lacey, which in ROH during this era, you know, it's, you never know. I actually don't think, at least during this particular era, Lacey ever got involved with violence with a male wrestler, which, you know, that's good. (laughs) That's progress. Um, That they have one woman that they did not do that to. Um, It's actually very interesting when you think about it, right? Because they were still doing that with, uh, you know, like, danger and chung right um but anyway that's very beside the point right um yeah i mean the crowd you know they chanted bullshit for sure um when they found out that spanky was gonna wrestle gibson they clearly uh underestimated how much this crowd would not would not want this. I do think that when the crowd booed what they wanted was still homicide. I don't yeah. think I don't think it was like, oh, maybe he'll wrestle Samoa Joe or something like that. I think they wanted homicide.
0: Yeah, and if you watch this, the uh, they cut off very abruptly after Gary announces, you know, it's going to be Spanky and Gibson. The crowd does boo, and you even hear a few people chanting bullshit, and they cut very quickly away from the segment. So, like they, they, you know, they 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 showed as much as they absolutely had to to get the story across. Um.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what's crazy to me though, I think this all supposedly happened before intermission. So was the. Was the conceit here that the last match before intermission was going to be the Heartbreak Express against Cheech and Cloudy? I'm trying to remember if, like, this actually happened after intermission and they just, like, rearranged it or if this actually was the segment before intermission. I'm not sure. I think –
0: I don't have this in my notes, but I think it might have been one of the live reports that was sold as kind of like a bonus match because the last match didn't have an ending, which – so so it probably wasn't pre-announced, but they were already there for the pre-show, the do-or-die, so like, hey, we can say – and then I guess they were hoping that it would give Gibson a big pop, but right, – yeah, no, I
1: get why they did it, but just yeah, like yeah. – in terms of like kayfabe terms, like yeah, they, yeah. they have the world title match before intermission. Then they follow like with – It's like a standby this, match, I guess. Yes,
0: Yeah. Um, At this point, we get music videos for two new FIP shows, Dangerous Intentions and With Malice. Um, there is a lot of ads on this show and stuff compared to, well, not, maybe not a lot, but, you know, most Ring of Honor shows, they have like minimal ads and they go right up to like the three hour mark. This was a show that ended like five minutes early, even with a bunch of ads. So it was a show that, like you said earlier, did not maybe run quite as long as other ones. Um, now it's intermission. Gary Michael Capetta is backstage with Sal Renaro. Gary says everyone is psyched to see Spanky coming back with the Ring of Honor World Title, which again, right after that last thing, is pretty funny. Um, Gary congrats Sal on his success, and he says he looks like he's joining Ring of Honor. Sal says it's an honor to be here, and he just hopes to impress. And it's a very that's basically the gist of the entire promo. And I thought the funny thing was the entire time he had this goofy grin on his face, like he was about to like burst into laughter. Like I don't know, it was just like a nervous smile or something, but. Very short promo, and that's Sal's entire involvement on the show, other than that clip of him wrestling CM Punk at FIP. Isn't
1: there so much filler on this? Like two FIP promo videos, like then the whole Sal Renaro thing. That's a lot.
0: Yeah. And we'll get more ads to end the DVD, too. So, yeah, so many. Uh,
1: and, and, all the, t- and, all, and all the videos before matches, they're really like, we want this show to at least be almost three hours. <laughs>
0: So next we have a tag team match of Generation Next of Austin Aries and Roderick Strong defeated the embassy of Jimmy Rave and Puma, a.k.a. T.J. Perkins, and he, they were scored to the ring by Alex Shelley, Jay Chung, and Prince Nana. Uh, Generation Next wins in 1531 when Aries pins Puma after he hit the 450 splash. So first, Matt, special... You informed this to me before I even watched the match. After all these shows of me saying Matt was that toilet paper and you say, no, Trevor, that's just a streamer. That's a streamer. You, Matt has endorsed this. It is confirmed. This is the first show where the toilet paper is thrown in the ring from the fans for Jimmy Rave's entrance. At least the first uh, time it
1: makes camera, yeah
0: rave is pissed nana gets on the mic and someone throws a roll at nana and he like bats it back into the crowd he calls the fan a fool for throwing the toilet paper at him nana says the fat pigs morristown need to show the embassy some respect he says alec shelley's done enough in the last couple of weeks so tonight he has the night off nana then tugs jade around by her dog collar and leash and says he found a partner for rave tonight from the deepest darkest parts of the jungle Introduces Puma. So the story behind this was this match was booked as AJ Styles and Austin Aries versus Jimmy Rave and uh Alex Shelley, and then Puma versus Roderick Strong was going to be a separate match on the show. Apparently at the start, earlier in the week, I had even read this on the ring, ring of Our website on the using the Wayback Machine. They informed the fans that like AJ Styles is busted up from um, TNA, so he might not be able to make the show. Apparently Bobby Cruz at the start of the main show told the fans like. AJ's not going to be on the show, but they did not tell the fans that they basically weren't going to get a Roderick Strong Puma tonight because they basically combined that match into this because Alex Shelley also got hurt. I'll just read the PW torch. Alex Shelley suffered a back injury at the Impact tapings. Shelley wrestled in a tag match at the August 19th PWG show the night before and took his fair share of bumps in the match despite the injury. Ray of Honor pulled Shelley from their weekend show on August 20th as a precautionary measure to prevent further damage. So it is kind of interesting that Shelley, you know, actually works the night before. He still comes to the show. He works, you know, at ringside, but for whatever reason, they decide, you know. We're not going to make it take bumps in this match. We'll just – we'll combine the the Roddy Puma match with this. And um, anyway, so that gets us uh, to the match. And Matt well, – One more thing before much... the match. Uh, uh, oh, go on. I, so at one point
1: during the promo that um, Nana is uh, is cutting about the whole – how Shelly – he gets a paid night off, right? That's what he says. But while he's doing he's like – you know I love your stuff. You'll be the next champion. Like I just, <laughs> I just think I love your stuff and you'll – like. This, it's just a very funny line. Nana is so funny. I, yeah. I wish that I didn't hate this Jay Chung angle so much because <laughs> Nana is very funny.
0: So this is a match I really struggle to say things about. It, it, it's a good match. It's a good tag match. There, apart from a sequence in the middle of the match where, uh, Strong gets put in holds over and over so they can do the, uh, ref misses the hot tag spot multiple times. This match is kind of like always moving at a, at a good mid-tempo pace. There's good action in it. There's not much of a story to this match, I would say, beyond the embassy are heels that cheat a little bit. Um, Puma does a lot of his flashier offense here. I think he looked pretty good in this match other than he does a few of his kicking kind of based offense. They whiff a little bit but not crazily bad. But I felt like there was one T.J. Perkins match as Puma we saw where he kind of wrestled – I think it was against Homicide where he wrestled very kind of modestly. He didn't really do – this was a match where he was trying to show off more of his offense and get noticed. And But overall, like there's not much to say. There's not a lot to the story. There's not – a lot unique. Like I felt like this is a point. This this is a good match. If there's a chrism against it, this was a show at this point that really needed like a balls to the wall, all the, throw out all the stops barn burn to kind of save the show with the, the way the crowd had just been pissed off. And this was just a good fine mid card tag match um aries is strong always fun on offense there's a sequence where strong gets puma up into kind of a torture rack aries then drop kicks puma while he's in the torture rack and then strong just spins him and drops him into a gut buster that was really cute and i do like the end so the end of the match is um strong chases jade and nana around ringside and the Kaoshi kind of like runs into the ring i guess and then runs back out or something something happens that basically it causes her dog collar leash to uh a strand of it to be, like, in the ring. And then Puma trips over it, which lets Ares hit the Brain Buster in the 450. And so I thought that was kind of a cute finish to kind of show, like, it's Nana's evilness of treating Jade that bad. It, like, ends up being the thing that costs the t- his team the match. I, I like that as kind of a, a cute little finish. But a good, solid, nothing, but I would say also a forgettable tag match.
1: Yeah, I would not call this match good. I uh, I think it was not bad <laughs> That's probably as much as i would say you know they're athletically talented guys but the match didn't add up too much of anything i didn't really feel like there was any engaging story didn't feel like the crowd was particularly engaged um i think strong and aries are always fun on in tags but you know if you compare this to the tag match they had you know with um with fast eddie and jimmy rave in um excuse me um fast eddie and alex shelley in uh at the homecoming it's i think it's not even close um I, um, I, I, you know, like it was just, you know, like you said, like they they did some good moves and stuff, but the crowd didn't care. There was a bunch of hope spots that the crowd didn't really care about. This this match did have some of my ROH tag team pet peeves. The biggest one being when a guy hits a hot tag, um, then like when a guy gets a hot tag, he's back in the ring like a minute later doing spots. You know, yeah. like the, I I always find that. You know, just I don't know. This the story that that story doesn't work for me. Um, you know, Puma was was pretty good, but just I don't. The match just didn't hold together. There was one. Um, there's one moment where Gabe jumps into the booth again to say he's disgusted by the abuse of Jade Chung. Okay, and then Lenny Leonard on commentary says since Prince Nana can't physically abuse Chung, he's going to emotionally abuse her instead, which. Yes, it was emotional abuse, but isn't yanking someone around violently by a leash around their neck also physical abuse? Wouldn't that count as physical abuse? <laughs> um, I think it was. Um, there was, uh, there's a mo, like, but like, just the crowd just doesn't care. Like, when Puma works over Strong's neck at a certain point, the crowd, like, tries to muster up a mild clap. And Strong gets a tag that the, well, you, like you said, that the ref doesn't see. And so the ref pushes Ares back to the apron and, The crowd can't even be bothered to boo. Like, and again, I I know that's not totally the wrestler's fault, you know, like it's there, there, the crowd has been killed by bad booking, but still, like, I feel like the match also wasn't, wasn't doing it, you know, just, it just, and again, you know, not to criticize the wrestlers, it doesn't always work, but I didn't think this match worked very well, Um, very well at all, honestly. I, I just, I just didn't really, I just didn't really think it clicked.
0: Couple things I want to mention. Uh, first off, was this the first time that uh, the embassy came out to like the diamonds from Sierra yes. Leone by Kanye West?
1: Yes. Although that's I don't, I don't. It wasn't actually that song, right? It was like um, just like it was like a, it was like an instrumental version of it, right? Because I didn't hear any like rapping or anything.
0: Yeah, there, there must be like just yeah the backing track or something. But that's a, that's a great theme that really fits well for the embassy and really good. Um, yeah, I feel
1: like that was like Shelley's embassy theme, and like Rave still came out to the other theme that he would be coming out to when he was in singles matches.
0: Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. My, again, my memory, awful. So it's all new to me, Matt. It's everything. We can do this podcast again in 10 years. It'll be all new to me. But, all right. Um, sounds like a plan. <laughs> my other thing that I thought was interesting, you mentioned when uh Gabe comes back in the commentary booth just for a second to really sell – um that jay Chung's mistreatment and part of me wonders like i know lenny said that like occasionally gabe would write lenny and Prazak notes while they were recording the commentary like things he wanted them to say it almost felt like gabe knowing what was coming next felt like they weren't talking about jay chung getting abused enough because after he comes in they start focusing on it more and the other thing i thought was funny was gabe's assigned to the effect of like you know i hate to jump in on comedy just for a second guys but i was enjoying beer and popcorn in the in the stands but i had to come back to the booth to talk about this so i like the idea that gabe is a commentary in ring of Honor because he always they always act like the commentary is being done live in the building i like the idea that like when gabe is done commentary he just like goes up with the crowd and like watches the show not from the back but like with the fans like he just you know, grabs a drink and is well, like yeah, I'll just sit here.
1: Well, whenever they would do that shtick where they would be like, oh, you know, this match is so good, let's not do commentary for it anymore. They would that would be always the bit, right? Let's go watch it with the fans.
0: Yeah, like like, has there ever been a promotion where like you know, I don't know, we're like. You you wouldn't see like Jim Ross. And you're like you know I just was caught here to call this special semi-main event. I'm gonna go sit in the fourth row now to, to finish off the show tonight. Like,
1: I want to enjoy the match as a fan, even though I'm being paid not to do that.
0: Um, even though I could just sit in the back, you know where it's comfortable and yeah. I have privacy. And
1: they should try it one time. Let's see. Yeah. So uh, yeah. after, oh, go on. No, I was just, I was just trying to imagine like AEW doing that, like in the middle of Danielson versus Omega. They're just like, they're all the announcers are just like, you know what? Let's just, I'm, we're gonna leave the booth. We're gonna, we're <laughs> gonna go into the crowd.
0: I would love if, like, they did that before Danielson Omega and Alex Excalibur just does, does the game. You know, this match speaks for itself. And then you see, like, Excalibur and Jim Ross, like, trying to talk the fans in the front row to, like, get a seat or something. Like, can we yeah, sit here? Like, they, they, just, in the they, back just, they,
1: they just push some fans aside and, like, start <laughs> – and we just see them, like, cheering on the hard camera.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Um, after the match, Aries and Strong go to the back – pretty quickly, and then that leaves an angry Prince Nana in the ring with the rest of the embassy. He grabs the mic. He tells Puma to get out of the ring. He just, you know, treats him like, you know, you failed. He then blames Jay Chung for the loss. He tugs her by her leash. Nana browbeats her, says he gave her a good lifestyle from the life she had in Sri Lanka. So I guess now the gimmick really is every time he says she comes from a different place, because I believe now in different shows he's called, said she's from Thailand, from Vietnam, and now from Sri Lanka. Right,
1: it's like a a gag, almost. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that he doesn't know where she's from. Um, he threatens to smack her when Mick Foley comes out in a Mick Fo- in a baseball jersey. He's holding a copy of his book, Scooter, which was – for people that don't remember, Scooter was the second of two fiction books Mick Foley wrote that uh, – back when he thought maybe he could transition into just writing – I've never read either of his fiction books. Anyway, he's the coming other one out – The was Brown, right? Yeah. That was his first and Scooter was his second. Yeah. Um, Mick says he stands all he can stand, and he can't stand no more. Nana has done what Mick thought was impossible. He's made him ashamed to be a Ring of Honor fan. He says when he watches the Ring of Honor DVDs at home with his kids, he has to skip past the Nana segments. Mick says that he hasn't felt that way since Eric Bischoff brought us hot lesbian action. Well, you know, um,
1: you know, like that Mick, maybe that's why they did the kids come free rule, just so that Mick could bring his kids, and we know Mick Foley's famously cheap. so.
0: <laughs> Dewey's got to get in for free. (laughs) Um, Foley says Nana could get the book thrown at him for his actions, which he which he transitions into a cheap plug for a scooter because you know that's the book he could throw at him, which gets a nice pop from the crowd. Mix says he's not saying you can't abuse your women in America; they get abused all the time. Mix says if you want to do it though, you have to do it the American way. You have to wear a sleeveless white t shirt, dribble some tobacco juice down it, change your name to Billy Bob, move to West Virginia, and He didn't and think that. he didn't
1: think he didn't think that one through.
0: Yes, because for those who are forgetting, James Gibson is from West Virginia yeah. um, and marry your sister. Then you can do whatever you want. But none of those things are true, Mick says. He says the next time Nana lays his hands on Jade Chung, he, he'll lay his hands on Prince Nana. Mick tells Jade she, he can't make the choice her for her, but she's going to have to decide between the embassy and her new Ring of Honor family, Nana or Mick. The prince or the hardcore king? The crowd chants for Foley, and then they start chanting happy ending, which gets a chuckle out oh, of uh, Mick. Upset me uh, extremely. Like, it's just <laughs> this, this angle. Oh my god. Um, Chung then acts torn about who to choose, but then she goes to hug Mick before she can. Shelly and Rave attack, um, attack him. They they hold him in place so Nana can hit him with Mick's copy of Scooter. At this point, Ares and Strong come back out. They chase the embassy to the back, except for Nana. Nana lays Nana out. I mean, Mick lays Nana out with punches and a double arm DDT. That's the he second. He DDTs him on the book. Oh yeah. And the the observer wrote Foley asked to be a part of this angle as on his appearance. So I mean, part of me wonders. So based on that, Matt, do you think that when Mick said like you know This made me ashamed to be a Ring of Honor fan. Do you think that's, like, real? Like, maybe he thought that maybe this would help in a way, like, being the babyface that, like, gets comeuppance on this guy who's been abusing a woman? Because the whole thing, it strikes this really weird tone of he's kind of standing up for a woman, but he's also going through this weird joke about how you can abuse women, but you have to apparently be from the south and do it in an incestual relationship like it's a weird tone he hits on this on in this promo
1: yeah i mean I, I, i i don't i mean you could say maybe he was bothered by this angle in the sense of like you know well he was probably already doing work with like rain and stuff like that um which you know he has done um to his to his credit but like um yeah i mean i don't think that his involvement is super respectful um of women or you know what i mean like i think you know besides that you know like turning it into a joke like you know he could have cut a real serious promo on how insane this is um yeah not that that would have made me like it like i don't think that it was just i just just don't think there's any way to salvage this in my mind but um you know it would have been probably better but then also like like when the crowd starts chanting happy ending like and he and foley just goes oh, that's gross, you know, like, fooling around, like, is it like, oh, by the way, also, it's really racist, like, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's sexist and racist, and like, I don't know, it's him getting involved, and it just brings him down to that level, I think, I don't think it really helps, I don't, I mean, Foley's entertaining, but I don't think that this helped, uh, it, it reminds me more than anything of Foley getting involved in the Muhammad Asad angle, and him basically going on ROH TV and being like, "Yeah, I was just involved in a really horrible xenophobic angle." Not ROH TV, uh, ROH DVD, and yeah. saying I was involved in a really uh, horrible xenophobic angle. And I'm just like, "So you saying it makes it okay that you did it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 did not. Yeah, I mean, you probably would have guessed I did not like this.
0: Yeah, yeah, just a, you know, a weird again, not very. You know, it's an angle. You know, with no one remembers it, it's not very important at all. It's just a weird little thing anyway um crowd, crowd did
1: react to this more than anything else they reacted to in the second half of the show <laughs>
0: yeah, they, they liked it so um uh ring of honor world title match semi main event james gibson successfully defends the title when he defeats spanky via pinfall in 11 minutes 18 seconds when he reversed a cradle into one of his own um matt you know this is a this this is you know you like you mentioned the last match the crowd really only turned on the last match at the very end when they realized homicide was dq'd this is the if if the well got poisoned at the end of this match at the end of that match this whole match is people drinking out of that poisoned well so the last match we were able to kind of separate the booking and the match but i feel like this point it's kind of like the booking becomes the story of the match what did you think about it
1: Yeah, I mean, it's in some ways, this is like ROH version of John Cena versus Randy Orton from the Royal Rumble 2014, right? Where the crowd's just chanting for Daniel Bryan and then a bunch of other wrestlers the whole time. Um, but I will say this the crowd did not have the enthusiasm to be that entertaining during this match. They start chanting for homicide almost immediately, but then they're mostly just like, we don't give a shit, like, about this, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, like, even – but like it's weird because the vibe in the match is is also like that because like Spanky limps to the ring like he looks very unhappy, although he does like a quick smirk as he spins when he enters like almost like nudging the crowd like, hey, I'm going to reveal something soon. Um, but – like there's almost there's a moment also where Spanky's about to do his little dance when he gets in the ring and then he just does a gesture where he's like you know what forget it I'm not going to do it so there's already like uh, this patch does not have the full um, the full involvement or investment of the people involved um, Gibson you know he's aggressive at the beginning Spanky leaves the ring to li- to limp um, you know Spanky is is selling his his leg for a little bit but then at one point he pops up super kicks Gibson. Reveals that his leg is fine. Clicks his heels in celebration. The crowd boos, but not really because Homicide isn't in the match. Um, It probably would have gotten over in a normal context, right? Um, Yeah. But, you know, he's going to work on Gibson. The the, the match is, you know, spanky. He's being a heel. He's gleefully beating on Gibson using shady tactics on the outside, all that stuff. But, you know, no one really cares that much. Yeah. he does this real slow run. And instead of diving, he just walks onto the apron and kicks Gibson. <laughs> um, the he comes off the top with, I'm really not sure what it was supposed to be. I guess maybe an attempted ax handle because Gibson catches him and hits a spine buster. Um, but you know, the crowd, again, every, everything I'm saying, the crowd doesn't really react. Um, Gibson locks in like an Indian death lock with a bridge, which actually does get an applause, not like a pop, but like a polite applause. Um, uh gibson like i don't know he hits misses a running knee spanky hits a flat liner um eventually gibson hits a tiger driver that spanky turns into a rana so i guess he doesn't hit a tiger driver he goes for a tiger driver that spanky hit turns into a rana and they do a series of reversals and gibson gets a cradle and wins and i'm just like if they really needed to do this that badly they still couldn't bother to book a decisive finish like that's weird. Like I, I didn't understand what they were going for, even with the match. Like it wasn't good. In some ways, it wasn't the wrestler's fault. But like, why didn't they try to do a more dramatic match instead of it being so like gimmicky and silly? Like there was nothing wrong with the work, but like I don't feel like they tried super hard to win the crowd over either. And yeah, they're both great wrestlers, so like it surprises me.
0: I, I like the the actual work of the match a little more than you. But why? What, what I think the real failing is. They wrestled the absolute wrong match for this crowd and this moment because, um, like, I actually like the Spanky stuff because, you know, one thing we've I think we've talked about in Spanky's whole run in 2005 in Ring of Honor is like his work has always been pretty good and you know that Danielson match is great. I don't think he was ever slacking in this run, but like we've talked about, he lost the goofy crazy spanky face character and didn't really replace it with a compelling character. It was just kind of like I'm spanky and I want to win a title. And, was, and he was kind of missing something. I feel like in this match, when he becomes a heel, like, you you get something back. Like, I was having fun. I, I like when he faked out that his knee was hurt, and then when he finally starts coming back, he, go, he literally shouts, it's a miracle! I, I liked when he took off the knee bandage, and he not only choked Gibson with it, but he turned it into, like, a noose and tried to, like, hang him from the ring. Like, I, I thought that was... I I mean I liked I like him being the tease you talked about where he teased the dive and then just walks up. I, I thought he was having fun being a heel, but where I think the whole thing was and I liked they were trying to tell a bit of a story too where Gibson early on he keeps getting chances to go after Spanky's bad knee, and Gibson, even though you know he's mad at Spanky he, you know, he was his good friend. He can't bring himself to hit the, hurt the knee. And then when Spanky reveals that, you know, he was faking the injury later in the match from that point on, Gibson now actually go has no hesitation to go after the knee. And now he's trying to hurt the knee for real. And I think at the very end of the match, there's one spot where Spanky like lands on his feet from something and he like hobbles. So I actually like the idea that like the guy, I thought you could make an interesting match out of that kind of story of guy fakes an injury Opponent doesn't want to take advantage of it, then reveals it's fake. Then opponent actually hurts that body part for real, so the guy's not faking anymore. And I like the character work. I think the problem was this crowd obviously wanted to shit on this match. It was not what they wanted to see. And I feel like when you're working a crowd that's going to be hostile, you have to give them – like hit them hard and hit them fast, so do like just really fast paced match, lots of big spots, and just don't give them time to think or boo, and sometimes you can win a crowd back that way, and I so said this was much more of a more measured match all about story and character, and that's not going to work for a crowd that's already pissed off, you know that's giving them a chance to boo, and you kind of touched on this, I think the one of the worst things about this from a reaction standpoint was there was part of the crowd that was chanting for homicide and was openly hostile to this match. But I would say it's like, you know, Gabe says it was 10%. I would say it probably sounds like 20, 30%. But I think that what makes it come off even worse is like the rest of the, it's enough to know that's not the whole crowd, but the rest of the crowd is like largely quiet, which I think it makes it worse. Like it'd be one thing if the crowd was just hostile. It's like part of the crowd is hostile and the rest of the crowd doesn't care, which is like, you're getting the worst of both worlds. Like, even no even, one, even
1: the hostile part can't muster the energy to remain super vocal either for most of the match.
0: Yeah, and it's just it's, it reminds me of you know sometimes people saying I'd rather crowd shit on me when they're supposed to cheer me than be silent. And to me, it was almost like you got both in this match a little bit where it's like they weren't enthusiastic, but they also were still kind of booing. Like it just it was a yeah. bad vibe. And again, it was, it was a
1: hum of dissatisfaction throughout the whole match.
0: And that's a great way to put it. That should also be a great album, Hum of Dissatisfaction. But um I also think the ending – so we'll get to this in a quote. It sounds like from something Gabe says that this match was planned to go longer and they cut it short because they realized the fans weren't into it. And the last minute really feels that way because this match, it's very kind of like – mid-tier offense it feels like they're going They're. it's a match built to go maybe 16 to 20 minutes and then the last minute it's like they just decide okay fuck it let's go home because the very last minute it goes from being like this mid-tier offense to this very intricate series of reversals to pins like very fast paced like you reverse this into this into this into this and then now i get a pin And i just s- felt I like,
1: still i still think it's ridiculous like if this is supposed to be a blow off of like two guys that hate each other that it ends with like a series of roll-ups
0: yeah but it did feel like it did feel like it did feel like that to you, where it just felt like in that last minute they just decided, okay, let's just do what we were gonna do, yes, and get um, it over with, get yeah, it over with, you know. Yes,
1: yes, but I also uh, think it like, wasn't
0: a good ending to. be you wouldn't yeah. have liked it if they put that after twenty minutes. Yeah, right, right. I, like, I, they, I, like that's
1: not how I would have done the ending of this feud. Yeah, exactly.
0: So we'll get to the quotes. Um, Pro Wrestling Torch, Ring of Honor booker and promoter, Gabe Sapolsky, tells The Torch that he didn't figure Homicide's hometown crowd in New Jersey on August 20th would be so vocal in supporting him and booing top babyfaces. Quote, Well, you win some and you lose some. I didn't consider the market carefully enough. If we did the homicide angle in the Midwest or Boston or Buffalo, I believe it would have worked. On his home base in New Jersey where he has a fan base that is the minority of the crowd but very vocal and loyal, it didn't work. It is too bad because James Gibson and Spanky had a fantastic match that would have been even better and longer if the crowd was more into it. Um, Then we go to The Torch, which says – well, first off, like – I'll I'll go to the Observer quickly. Um, observer says Sapolsky thinks in New, the New Jersey area he may have to book homicide like a face, but more heelish everywhere else. So first off, Matt, do you agree with Gabe that like you, this match would have worked if it wasn't in the Northeast? Because I kind of feel like with the fans knowing that Spanky and Gibson were leaving, it maybe wouldn't have been this hated. But I also don't know if it would have like been a huge success. Like the way Gabe's talking, like this was a fantastic match, and it would have been even better if they went longer. I I think maybe he's overselling it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, if the context was completely different, like, oh, maybe it would have worked better. But, like, no, I don't think that either of these guys would be like, yeah, we were working a fantastic match right there. Like, they've both had fantastic matches. They had a much better match against each other that same year in ROH. So, like, no, I don't think it was a fantastic match.
0: Now, the one thing I will say is, I do think it came, it would come off even worse in New Jersey or New York than anywhere else, but I don't think like the booking of this was great or the wrestling in this was great. In these two matches, was great. Like that would have been just like oh, it would have been a huge success anywhere else. No, it might have been like a kind of muted average anywhere else. Maybe yeah, it wouldn't
1: have but, been complete uh, like a, a, an embarrassing failure anywhere else. Yeah, maybe.
0: And then we go to uh the PW insiders and Mike Johnson writes, one person who was there described it to me as the fans ruining the show for themselves and everyone else because they didn't get what they wanted. But we received some really angry emails about the booking of the match. Another source, who knew the DQ was planned, figured the crowd would crap on it when it went down, since Ring of Honor always treats their title as something special. I can't wait to see how they handle the crowd reaction on the DVD release of the show. And again, like people that were expecting them to do something crazy to explain this. No, they acknowledge like this is homicides home base, and the, a lot of the crowd wants to see him win. So,
1: also though, on the DVD, it didn't come off as bad as it did live. You know, like yeah. mostly the crowd was just like, like, eh, we don't like this. You know, you didn't get the sense that they were ready
0: to like revolt. Even doing the research of the show, the live reports come off way harsher, yeah, than watching it live, where you feel like, oh shit, this is going to be near mutiny. It, 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 at least in the maybe it's just the acoustics. It doesn't come off that bad, like, right? And maybe the, pockets, the maybe, happy,
1: but maybe the pockets of the crowd that were the most vocal were not near where the cameras were that were picking up the sound. You know what I mean? Like that's part of it too. Like where you were sitting, even in a small, even in a small show, can make a difference.
0: So, so one thing, I, one thing I want, I want to say. I was thinking about this is that comment about the from the PW Insider, you know. And, this is something we hear a lot more now because I feel like WWE has kind of cha- trained a generation of fans and wrestlers and staff to believe that if the fans don't like something, they're just spoiled and that they should like everything that's presented to them. But it's a comment you hear a lot more now that fans, if they don't like saying, oh, they're so entitled. And I I, I saw some comments about t- fans talking about this even. You know, Most people, obviously not a fan of this, but talking about, oh, entitled fans, they ruined it for everyone. And the one thing I want to say is like, Yes, in a sense they did ruin it, and I and part of me wishes that they didn't chant shit during this match because it's not Spanky and James Gibson's fault, and maybe their match could have gotten you know they had they probably had more match to tell probably a more the end of the match stuff to do that would have been fun. So in that sense, yeah, the, the fans did make the show worse, but I think it's funny when fans call uh, people call fans entitled because there are two meanings of the word entitled and one is negative and one is neutral. And people use it. People, when they call the fans entitled, they mean the negative. But I think the ironic thing is it's the neutral one that actually applies to them. Cause you know, entitled in a negative sense is, you know, you take a woman out on a date and, or a man or whatever. And you think because you bought them dinner, she should kiss you at the end of the night. Or you think you go to a party and you think because you make more money than everyone else at the party, you should get treated better. That's negative entitlement. You think you're getting something, that you don't, you haven't earned, that you don't deserve. If a fan goes to a wrestling show and they buy a ticket, buying a ticket buys you two things. It buys you the right to see the show, and it buys you the right to react to the show however you want, as long as within reason, you know, don't touch the wrestlers, don't throw things, don't ruin it for other people, but You can cheer what you want. You can boo what you want. You can be silent for what you want. And like when people say you're entitled, I always want to say like, yes, fans, when they buy a ticket are literally entitled to boo something they don't like. Like that's part of what buying the ticket literally in the, in the correct neutral way entitles them to do. And I don't know why that's a negative. Like,
1: yeah, um, morally speaking, I mostly agree with you. However, I have been at shows where the fans are so annoying You know, so that distracts so much from what the show is trying to present that I really do get mad at them. Like, and, and I get, and like, I get you're right, like, they are allowed to cheer and boo what they want, you know, make, chant what they want and stuff. But there are other people there that are trying to watch the show. So, like, I, I do kind of get the idea of being annoyed. That, on the other hand, like, again, like, you know, as a fan of Brian Danielson, like, if the crowd didn't act entitled, to get the people that they want over instead of um you know just accepting whatever the wwe was throwing at them we probably would have never had wrestlemania 30 or a lot of others you know what i mean so it's yeah it's a it's a balancing act to walk like but you can see how like if you're trying to watch a show and not of that mindset you would get annoyed about fans trying to take it over right
0: Yeah, and and I I think you make a good point because I think it's hard – because I did include like as long as you don't like ruin the show for other fans, but what ruins the show for one fan is – won't be for another like everyone has their own line to draw so that's what makes it hard because like i would agree we talked about on a recent show where there was like four women that we we read in the live reports that were really excited to see chad call you for some reason they were having high-pitched screams whenever he had a spot and then we read the reports that fans shouted them down and said like fat chick thriller and booed the women and like made them embarrassed and they were quiet for the rest of the show to me that's not cool to treat someone like that like you're like that's – but some other – but then again, some other fans would say, I paid a ticket. I'm allowed to say what I want. But I guess that's my point is I guess we all have different lines of where – of what's acceptable and what isn't because I, I think no one would say like the fans have to do certain reactions to certain matches. Right. But what we what, what we would consider like what's over the line, like what's r- making it bad for someone else, like I would consider that Chad Collier thing over the line
1: yeah I mean when, I when, when you're literally more. chanting at another fan, I think that's that's a fair thing to say, like yeah, you can react how you want to the wrestlers and the and the presentation, but when you start directing your like entertainment chants at other people in the crowd, I think that's a fair way to say that's over the line,
0: <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying for some people, they thought what i 'm probably not a ton, but some people probably thought fans booing this match and trying for homicide was over the line to me honestly i
1: I, I probably when i watched it like didn't love the booking but i probably was more annoyed at the fans like i was probably
0: like hey i'm trying to watch a show with my dang dad here (laughs) (laughs) i I, I thought it was him <laughs> watch if we titled each show because some podcasts they do that they come up with a title for each show, the title of this episode would be "I'm trying to watch a show with my dang dad here." But um, we should
1: we should just change the name of the podcast to that, honestly.
0: But 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 here's the thing I would say about <laughs> okay. uh, th- this is um they're they're I, I would say they're immature. Like I wouldn't have done what they did during this match, but I also feel like they they have a right to do it. You know, yes, they didn't yes, get what they, they
1: want. Did. I was annoyed by it, but that doesn't mean I'm right about that. You know what I mean like, yeah. it's, like they they still were allowed to do this.
0: Yeah, there's a weird line. And finally, there's one thing we did not get to see. You saw live. You probably don't even remember, but it's funny. The pro wrestling torch writes, the next sequence was most likely booked on the fly to placate the crowd. Homicide hit the ring and Davey Andrews, Shane Hagador, and Matt Turner, all three ROH students, came out to counter. But he quickly disposed of all three with his signature moves, including a cop killer on Andrews. He then grabbed the mic and insulted the crowd, but they continued to cheer him heavily. Was he, like, came he was right like, I'm
1: supposed to be the bad guy i, I kind of remember that
0: yeah he, he came, that's the next line man. he came right out and told the crowd i'm the bad guy you're not supposed to cheer me but the harder he fought the more he was cheered until he eventually gave up so yeah that the, needless to say that also did not make the dvd but yeah that definitely sounds like something they did just to you know wow the crowd wants more homicide so this will send them home happy kind of maybe but i love the idea that he's like you're supposed to boo me and no, um, after the crowd, some people in the crowd, after the match, some people in the crowd did chant homicide, but then there they were overtaken by some people chanting Gibson. So some people, you know, they didn't completely hijack this, but that brings us to the main event, the ring of honor, peer title match. Samoa Joe defeated Christopher Daniels via submission in 20 minutes, 13 seconds, when Daniels tapped to a rear naked chokes while he was in the ropes because he had used up all his rope breaks, he, he basically goes for his big um, palm strike where he has the guy on the top rope and he goes for that leaping palm strike. Joe kind of avoids it, grabs Daniels in the rear naked choke, and since they're in the ropes, he doesn't have to get out because they've used all the rope breaks, blah, blah, blah. So um I thought this was a good match, but I thought it was like – a three and a half stars maybe good, which is kind of disappointing from these two guys. It is not as good as their previous Ring of Honor match years earlier. Not even close. And it, yeah, and um, it's a weird thing because it, it, it's a perfectly decent match, but it doesn't feel like they're working at a Ring of Honor main event level. And one thing like Ring of Honor usually gives – especially in this era is pretty much everyone on the card. You feel like they're wrestling like super hard and that this is really important to them. And I've heard people online describe this as like a house show feel for this show. And this feels like two really talented guys that aren't giving a full effort, which is weird because they're in the main event spot. And I, especially from Joe typically don't see this from him at uh, up to this point in ring of honor, but it, it's just a very basic match. They go through, you know, Daniel's, you know, targets the midsection they use up their rope breaks back and forth they do a lot of their mid-level offense but they never really do a lot they they don't get into the big exciting ball balls and whistles i to say balls and whistles that would be the the soccer right match but um um i i think the weird thing is like also it, these guys you know they did not have a very big feud this match was all set up just from an angle in one night in that redemption match where they kind of cause each other's eliminations and get pissed off at each other but like so I realized that they didn't have a huge hated feud, he- you know, hate-filled heated feud. But for a show that was main eventing a show called Night, a match main eventing a show called Night of the Grudges Two, like there's not much intensity in this match. Like you don't really get that they hate each other. And it's by just the way, like and by the
1: way, not to interrupt you, sorry, but um, but since they had so much time to fill on the show, couldn't they have bothered to do a promo with these two guys just to establish this a little bit?
0: yeah yeah there's no promo from either of these guys on this night Alice in Danger also not on this show um and it's just again just like I said with that with the generation next tag this was a show that really needed like a home run match to kind of save the show and these guys certainly have it in them they're they're great wrestlers at least joe is i i I think daniels i run kind of hot and cold on daniels daniels
1: is a great wrestler he's like joe is an all-timer you know what i mean like it's different but like just in terms of like wrestling skill like daniels is a great wrestler like he's not always doesn't always have great matches but i think it's fair to say he's a great wrestler
0: the, the thing i would say about daniels is He's really polished. He's like a pro's pro. Sometimes he has matches I really enjoy, but sometimes he's almost like a Randy Orton to me where I I watch and I can go, you're very professional. I can see why people love working with you, but I just am not connecting with this match. Like, it feels kind of hollow or cold to me. And, like, like this match, like, a a lot of Daniel's matches sometimes for me are like that. And this match is a textbook example of that where, like, structurally, there's not really anything wrong with it. The, The moves, they execute them well. It's just, I'm not excited for it, and it's weird because you know I, I I feel like Daniels has a lot of matches like this. Like even on his comeback, Christopher Daniels when he wrestled Colt Cabana in his comeback match to Ring of Honor, they had a long time. It was kind of like this, not even as good as this. It wasn't particularly good. Um, You know, Daniels versus Matt Hardy was fine, but you know, Roderick Strong had a better match with Matt Hardy, probably. You know, Um, Homicide might have had a better match with Matt Hardy. It's just. He has sometimes for me. Sometimes he misses as much sometimes as he has hits. But his misses, you know, are never horrible matches. But just like I can't give you many details on this match just because it's just kind of there, you know. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, I, I do think that your assessment is pretty much correct. Like, I think you know, three and a quarter stars. Like, you know, probably, but like. I don't – I do – You know. I'm someone who believes that crowd reactions make a huge difference in how a match comes across. And I do think the fact that the crowd was just killed um, makes it so they were fighting a losing battle. Like I don't think you can have a truly great match in front of a crowd that doesn't care about what you're doing. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know. Have you ever watched a match where the crowd is just like dead and you're like, this match is awesome?
0: I'm not sure about that. I I have seen matches in indies where there's like, you know, like IWA Mid-South shows where there's like 40 people. But are the 40 people
1: reacting? Because like in that case, then like that's not the same thing.
0: Yeah, that's why I'm going to say it's probably not the same thing because, you know, there are people that go, well, there's not many people, but fuck it. They still deserve a good show. Like, I guess here's a question. Do you think maybe Joe and Daniels kind of got the vibe of this second half of the show and decide, you know what? This crowd doesn't deserve like – our absolute top effort. Maybe it actually affected what they were going to do.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think that it would. They would have framed it like that. I think it would have been more like this: crowd is dead. They have been killed by the booking. We're not getting them back. Let's not kill ourselves to try. Let's just do something solid and entertaining. I, I think it would be probably more framed like that, as opposed to this crowd like anger at the crowd. You know what I mean? Um, yeah and i think that's definitely possible i mean you'd have to ask wrestlers how if that's the sort of thinking that would be that that they have but like you know like you said the work was good you know and i and i maybe i'm exaggerating a little bit like i don't think the crowd was dead but like they were they did not get excited about anything they weren't like they didn't have a strong inclination toward one finish or another they weren't popping big for the big spots um but you know, like there was even an awkward silence chance like very early in the match like like a very like like that's what the crowd was excited to do at the beginning, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like um by the way, no Alice in danger on this show. And also, it's weird that I I forgotten about this that Daniel still wasn't shaking hands at this point even though he was clearly a baby face.
0: Yeah. And, like
1: Sort of half assed, like the way they did that, because Daniels never really talks about that anymore during this era. Like, he just sort of still does it, and it's a holdover from the way his character used to be. I wish they yeah. would have put more effort into that. I, I wish they would have had promos here. <laughs> like, I, you know, just little things like that. Um, but, you know, yeah, like they're, you know, they're also working a slower match, I think, because of the pure title rules. Like, I think there's a little bit of, like, this is just how we do pure title matches. We go slow, we do rope breaks. You know, they end up do- using all three of their rope breaks. There's a spot that kind of throws back to um, um, the Punk AJ Styles early pure matches where Daniels is in an arm bar and he grabs the rope so he could do one of those like flips to get out of it, and the Sinclair calls that a rope break, and the, you know to kind of heal the referee and stuff like do
0: you do you like that kind of spot because i'll say i know some people say they like those kind of spots i think it's kind of i don't like the idea that the wrestlers are so dumb they don't know what's like I don't like that. Like the selling point, of pure title, shouldn't be these rules are confusing to even our wrestlers because, like Leonard, Lenny Leonard on commentary at one point, he goes, "I wouldn't call that a rope break. It's a controversial decision." Like, like even the, yeah. the the commentator is like, "Maybe that shouldn't have been a rope break." Like, is is that a selling point?
1: I liked it in the first Punk match because like the the rules were new. You know what I mean? Now you're talking about a year and a half after that. I think that like. You don't do that again, you know. Yeah, like I, I would say that. Like, I, but I thought of the you know when they did that the first time, I thought it was fine. Like, I thought it got over the rules. Uh, actually, yeah. I don't think. You need and to it makes do that
0: sense anymore. when a, for a brand new title that people have not yet learned the rules. But yeah, I mean, now it's been a while.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, they, they were going. You know, they were going slow there. Like, but Joe tried to throw in some stuff he doesn't normally do. Like he did do a delayed vertical suplex where the crowd counted along. I don't remember Joe doing that very often, and the crowd counted to twenty, by the way. And but they counted extremely fast; it was more like ten seconds. But still, that's hard to do, uh, right? Ten seconds holding a guy up upside down. <laughs> I can um, only
0: do four mat.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, so they, so they, you know, they do the rope break stuff. Daniels is working like an abdominal stretch, and he does it a few times, and the match is kind of repetitive, honestly. But they are sticking to the story of. Daniel's going for the abdomen uh, and the back and stuff like that, and Joe does do a lot of good chops in this match, I have to say he's, this is a lot he does a lot of chops and they're good, but there's one moment where Daniels ducks a chop and he hits his like punch combination like which is just a move that he you know does always in matches, but he gets a warning because he's not allowed to do closed fists and I did like that, you know like Daniels like would do that move out of habit and You know, like that makes sense that he would get a warning there. But what I liked about that even more was that Joe just decided to respond to that by punching Daniels (laughs) in the face, knowing he was going to get a warning, but not caring. I I like stuff like that. Like, yeah,
0: I I agree. I like stuff like that's the kind of stuff where the pure talent actually you can tell neat little things like that.
1: Exactly. Um, But you know, there. You know, uh, Daniels gets the Koji clutch. um, Joe's arm drops, but he stays awake and uses his final rope break. And, you know, there, um, there's a moment where Daniels goes for the iconoclasm, but Joe blocks it, ends up getting Daniels in the choke while Daniels is on the top rope. And he re- he rears back, almost hanging Daniels in the choke and forcing him to tap out. I thought that was a good finish. Um, I thought, really, besides the heat, I think they should have just gone a little bit faster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think that would have made things a little bit better. They don't have to try to have an epic like five-star match or anything, but if they just sped up the match, they could have bumped that up at least a half a star, I think.
0: It, was it just, goes back to what I said yeah. with Spanky and Gibson, which is like, don't give the fans time to like be bored or, or come up with, with awkward silence chats. Like, Just keep it moving. You know? yeah.
1: I do think that this also, honestly, like, and we'll see how much, this might just be the beginning of Joe who's in TNA where he kind of lays back a little bit sometimes in roh obviously not always like we are going to see several matches that i could think of off the top of my head where joe brings his a plus 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 game in the near future but keep it in mind that joe's in tna now and he has some amazing matches in tna during the second half of 2005 and he might have reason to protect himself and not overextend his his body Every time he goes out there in ROH. Just saying. Yeah.
0: This is also the first and I believe the only time the pure title main events until a Ring of Honor show until the, the unification match. Right. And uh, you can tell why it does not main event because the crowd is just jeering and heckling the ref's pure rules explanation the entire time. Right. They're like, the we,
1: we know the rules. But the other <laughs> thing is since this show has so much padding, they show the whole spiel, which they don't do on every show. Yeah. Um, so some. So there's. It's possible that that could have happened on other shows too, and we just didn't hear it.
0: So Matt, we are pretty much in agreement on this match. I'll have you know, we might. A lot of people disagree with us, so I'll go to the notes. Pro Wrestling Torch wrote, um, Sapolsky says regarding the August 20th Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels match, I enjoyed it tremendously live. If TNA is going in the direction of a three way Daniels Joe and AJ feud, I think it will be tremendous stuff. I look forward to having a rematch in Ring of Honor. So first off, is he saying, I look forward to having a rematch to the three-way in Ring of Honor? Because I don't think we ever get that.
1: I don't think so. I mean, the, that famous three-way hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Um. So I think he just means a rematch of this match. And yeah. he's just talking about that three-way feud.
0: And then we go next to The Observer. Uh, Dave, got talking about the live reports on the show, says, show was said to be okay aside from a can't-miss main event where Samoa Joe beat Christopher Daniels to keep the pure title. So are, you, we'll sure go- a lot, are
1: you sure a lot of people disagree with us or is it just Gabe?
0: <laughs> uh, oh, well – <laughs> You're saying Gay put that through, Matt? Yeah. You're so cynical. All right, let's go to the PW Insider, Matt. I'll, I'll dispute you right here, buddy. Um, the Morristown show was said to have been highlighted by Ring of Honor pure title champion Samoa Joe defeating Christopher Daniels in a great bout. Reader John Siska noted it was worth going out of your way to see.
1: Okay, so, well, Matt, I, well, saying- I, well, I promise you I remember this very well. I was there live. I thought the same exact thing about this match in 2005 after seeing it live. And I don't think I ever watched it back on DVD until reviewing it for this show.
0: Are you saying John Siska isn't real, Matt? Does the conspiracy go that deep? But yeah, yeah, it probably <laughs> could be in a couple isolated people. <laughs> but, John um, Siska is Gabe Spolsky's
1: other alter ego.
0: <laughs> so um, that brings us to the end of the match. We still have a couple more segments to go. Um, Sugarshawn Price is backstage with Colt Cabana. Sugar Sean looks also looks like he's lost weight at this point, so good for him. Like he really looking more trim at this point. Yes, although because I still
1: he, I still think it's weird how he goes to these shows to do almost nothing.
0: Yeah, that they that they split the shows between like okay, Gary gets one, you know, um, Price gets one. We can't have just one co- interviewer that does two promos, like <laughs> two interviews on a, on a show. That's too much of a workload. Um, so anyway, Sugar Sean is backstage with Colt Cabana. He wants to know. What he's going to be using his title shot to challenge for because, yeah, like Matt said earlier, and I had forgotten to mention it. The other step of that soccer riot match was whoever won that match got to decide did they want a world title or a peer title shot on the next show. Colt first puts over the end of the Nigel feud again. He says that he calls Nigel his friend. And uh, Colt says there's no choice, though, about what title to pick because while well, he loves pure wrestling, it's time to make his mark. When he challenged Samoa Joe for the world title, he wasn't ready. When he fought Austin Aries for the world title, it wasn't Colt's tie. But he says now it's my time to shine against James Gibson. He challenges James Gibson to the world title on the next show. And uh, we'll see that on the next show. And we go to another promo. We cut to Dun & Marcos in front of the Ring of Honor ring as it's being taken down after the show. Marcos calls tonight the biggest victory of their careers and says it was just the beginning, which is... I hate to tell you guys, it's more like the beginning of the end. Uh, Loke walks up to them and reminds them that he's known them their entire careers. He's given them their start in the business, in fact. He says DeVito's in the hospital getting stitched up, but Loke just wants to say he's proud of them. He tells them to come pick up DeVito with that, with him, and then they go out and get some beers together. They agree, and as they walk away, you hear Dunn, who's wearing glasses, which <laughs> always looks adorable, and he just mutters softly, kind of meekly, all right, titty club, and he just walks away with them. And then we end with ads for the Ring of Honor Wrestling School, the Ring of Honor website, and the Straight Shooting video interview series. I just wrote my notes. Yeah, they had time to spare on this release because <laughs> we, even with all that, we still end five minutes before the top of the uh, the three hour mark. So yes, that brings us to Night of Grudges too. Um, Matt, I think the question here is not just what you felt about, but do you feel like this is the worst show we've seen in two thousand five?
1: I mean, it's the worst booked show we've seen in 2005. But in the ring, I would say no, it is not. I still give that distinction to the trios tournament um, because this match had the soccer riot match, which was great. And I liked the Jarrell Clark match. And the main event was, you know, like very disappointing, but we both said still a three and a quarter star match. Yeah. Um, so I would say in the ring, this is maybe the second worst show of 2005, from a booking standpoint, though, one of the worst shows they've done—like just a f- close to a disaster booking-wise—and um, that I would say brings it down overall. So, yeah, um, the soccer match, though, if you ever get a chance to see that match, it is extremely fun, and um, you know it's kind of a shame that it was buried on a show that no one would ever want to watch.
0: That's a perfect way to say because I, I was thinking, of, how do I say that too? The idea of like, I do not think that match is good enough that you should like go out of your way to get this and show if you have to do it via eBay or or something. But like, if you can find a way online just to see that match, it's worth watching that match because yeah. it's a very fun match.
1: I mean, if you have like Honor Club or something, I don't know if that's on there. I got to check. But like, if like you know those matches are usually split up into like individual files, so just watch that match.
0: Yeah. Um, as far as a uh, show I've been talking a lot lately about, you know, two thousand five Ring of Honor has like the highest floor of any year we've covered so far, even if they don't hit the heights quite as often. But I would say this is an example of I would call this the worst show, and I agree with you that the trios tournament was had didn't have as good of a wrestling on it. But what I would call this the worst show is sometimes in Ring of Honor there's a, a show that's bad, not great because like the wrestling there's no real great match on the show. And then sometimes there's a show like uh we covered uh, Best of the American Super Juniors, where people remember that to be a terrible show. But when we watched it, we were like, there's actually a lot of really good wrestling on the show. It's just people – it has a bad name because there's one really notable instance of bad booking that was foisted upon Ring of Honor by New Japan that kind of gives a bad taste in people's mouths. But I would say this is a rare show where like the wrestling other than that one match is ranges from good to kind of eh, and you have the bad booking. And I don't think there are many Ring of Honor shows that we've covered – where it's kind of like both hit on the same show, where there's like a real bad booking mistake and the wrestling is just kind of eh, it's 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 okay. And because of that, I think it kind of adds up to the but but fair. It's by the a, way, I agree. But but I would say going to the how high Ring of Honor's floor is in 2005, I would say this is the kind of show where like if you were forced to watch this show, you wouldn't be like oh this is a painful watch or anything. Like there's worse ways to spend a Friday night watching this. It's not something I would say it's worth a fifteen dollar DVD or a live ticket. But it's like when I think of a bad wrestling show, I think of a show where it's like, man, there's so many other things. Like like this was a waste of my life. This is this this show is it's a way to pass time. It's not terrible. It's but it's the, probably I would say the least of what we've seen in two thousand five.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and I would say I would say I might even go actually further than that. It might be the worst. Book show we've watched in ROH like over the past few like years like there were probably some worse shows at the very very beginning but like I don't know that I could think of a show that's where it's just like has this vibe of like ugh not just not well done you know what I mean like that more than this one does.
0: And it's funny, because we talk about worst book. It's really just one. I mean, it's technically two matches, but it's really and also, just and also one the, thing. And also, I hated the Jade Chunk stuff too. But besides, oh, that, okay, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, that. Although that's, I, I just kind of that blurs to me because that's such a constant. But but really, in terms of the thing, this show brought it down its reputation. It's really just one angle that they just, you know, gave tried to do too much. I think right. you know he tried to force things in. He got also in this big time constraint about how long he was going to have guys, and he tried to cram it all in in the wrong city at the wrong time in the wrong way, and it just blew up in his face as he as he readily admits. And uh, but you know, we met We do the hard work on Through the Years. We cover not just the good shows, any show, you know. There are people that just cherry-pick good matches on wrestling shows, good shows, you know, all sorts of people, you know, that go, oh, I'm going to say my top ten matches. We, we cover every show, Matt. We earn it. And that means next time we get the benefits because next time – well, actually, first we should do plugs. Quickly, years at gmail.com. T-H-R-O-H is how you spell through. If you want to get us on email, ProWrestlingOnly.com. We have a thread in the plugs forum want to contact us on Twitter. I'm at Trevor Dame. Matt is at Mayor MGF. Next time on the show, we will be covering another show that maybe isn't widely remembered, but is actually f- fairly important in a couple of ways. We're covering Dragon Gate Invasion, which is both a big turning point show for the pure title and Nigel McGuinness, but also uh, what would be the first show of a long and very fruitful relationship between Dragon Gate and... And uh, Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate and Gabe Sapolsky, an even longer relationship between those two entities. And so, yeah, Shima, a little guy named Shingo, who apparently is still wrestling today, like, they make their Ring of Honor debuts on the next show. And that should be interesting to rewatch, Matt. So
1: I am very much looking forward to that, even though that show does not have a, like, a sterling reputation or a sterling Keenan reputation. It, um, <laughs> it
0: is, has a very interesting lineup, I would agree. Yes. So until next time, have a good time, have a great time.